I have a theory at Henley, and I, I would really like to see some data on this. The more tanned crew normally wins. <laughs> I, call me out if you think I'm wrong. But I, I, and I'm thinking to myself, like, normally you, you get quicker on training camps, right? So normally when a, a club will get back from a training camp, everybody's just topped up their tan and they all look, they all look great. I, I think more tans crews normally go faster. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Last Stroke Counts. Gear up, because we have the people's champion in the house once again. Please welcome Mr. Dave Bell to the podcast. It's great to be back. Thanks very much, guys. Great to have you. Uh, second returning guest. Um, but yeah, just um, for a little, little bit of change of pace, um, we obviously realized we've had some, some, some heavy hitters in the last few episodes. And it's been awesome to hear the stories and the highs and lows, and certainly it's a lot of difficult bits come with rowing so we thought it'd just be fun to kind of maybe um, change direction and just talk about some of the fun bits and some of the hilarious things that come up from spending that much time with with the same group of people and the in jokes and and things like that and just maybe just to show the other side of it at some point um yeah that's kind of what we thought we'd get on with today exactly it's not just hard work and no fun Sometimes it can be more hard fun and no work. Yeah, in in the absence of any inspiring, successful rowers, you can get me on as a change of pace. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> ah, no worries. We'll do it again. <laughs> Whenever we run out of guests, we'll make you the house regular. Uh, no, That's we it. definitely we had a lot of um, we had a lot of feedback from your episode. There's a lot of people that know you. Um, like we were just saying before we started, there's a lot of you get to hear some stories embellished in incredible ways that and, and originally weren't like that. I remember, if, have you heard the story of how Peter Haining went and slept at the house of one of his competitors? <laughs> oh my God. Um, he did the after-dinner speech at Henley Rowing Club like 13 years ago and he told this story, but I, I know the one you mean. I remember yeah. it being brilliant. So like, I've heard, so what's... I heard it. So so the story goes that um, he's a lightweight rower for, for Britain. One of his closest rivals was an Irish rower. Mm -hmm. And he found out when this Irish rower was away on training camp and he traveled over to his mum and dad's house, rang the door and his mum answered and apparently was like, hey, I'm a really good friend of your son's. He said, while he's away, I could stay here and train. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, that, I guess that makes sense, yeah, whatever. So he then spends like a week living with his mum, eating her dinners, like sleeping in his bed <laughs> and training down there. Uh, and then appar and apparently um, like writing a message in his training diary to him or something like, ha-ha, or whatever. <laughs> and I'd heard versions of this story, which said, one, is it's that much. But then there's a version where he, someone tells me, oh, and then what he did was he took all the bolts out of his bed and like left it like assembled. But then when he came back, his bed collapsed. And then I heard another one where he then took those bolts with him to the start line of Worlds that year. And then at the start line, holds them up and was like, hey, are you missing these? And throws them in the water. And then I've, yeah, recently, I think through the podcast or talking to someone who'd come on the podcast, um, said, well, no, like, actually, because then you're like, well, how much of this true? Because I don't think he probably took bolts to the world start line. But like, where's the truth and where's it not? And they said, basically said that first bit is true. He did go and stay with with his mum. He did convince her that he was allowed to be there. He did write a note in his training diary and then just bug it off. <laughs> it's great how these stories that we have, though, I mean, we've been 
we all know so many people have improved the sport. These stories will always go around. And it's almost like every time the story gets told, a little part of it's going to get exaggerated or twisted. And sometimes these stories come back whole circle. I've heard stories about myself. Yeah. But I think, well, that's nothing like what actually happened. But they're just, they're, they're funny. Like, yeah. the, the story, when you talk about Peter Haining, my like Peter Haining recollection is a, a, he was on a, a training camp a while ago and apparently I think he told this story as, no he did tell this story in his speech but they had this game that they played on training camp they're sort of out in the mountains and they played this game with each other where they'd try and sneak the most sort of obscure random objects into each other's rooms on camp oh, yeah. so you'd kind of come home and it'd be like uh, you know like a like a bucket and spade or something, or like a fence post, he'd come in. And he just thought, I'm just going to kick this up a notch. I'm just going to take this way over the top. And he lured a horse from the local, like some local farm into the, the huts that they were staying in and just put it in one of the teammates' rooms. <laughs> so his teammate comes back one day and there's this massive horse just in the middle of the room. The horse obviously freaks out because it has no idea what's going on and just sprays shit all over the room. So Alex Partridge told us <laughs> yeah. the story. So it, it, was, it's up, uh, it was up at Silveretta oh, where, okay. when they first used to start going there, the only thing up there was like some army, like porter cabin huts. It was like really, really basic. <laughs> So yeah, this is. I don't even know if Alex remembered who done it. So no, I no, guess. he didn't remember so who was done. This is literally people. straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So there's another like Alex had told us his story, but yeah. didn't quite know the, the. I heard about the people's champion story that they were like a trumpet as he got carried out on a throne. No, there was a trumpet. There was a trumpet. <laughs> oh, so there a, were trumpets. It was a bugle. It was a bugle. We got to be specific. A bugle is a small trumpet, I think. Okay. I don't know. I'm learning the saxophone at the minute, and so I, sh I should know my my brass instruments. But, um, okay. Yeah, so a, a chap called Nick Middleton. Um, I don't know whether he could already play the bugle or whether he'd just gone out of his way to actually learn the bugle specifically for this purpose. Yeah. But yeah, he played, he marched me out playing a little um, sort of tune on the bugle to sort of, you know, rally up the little tunnel of people we had while I was boating. Oh, there was easily 100 people there. That's wicked. Yeah, but yeah. you didn't get carried out on a throne. I didn't get carried so out. Have you, did you hear that bit? Yeah. I see. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about the throne and stuff. But If we'd have had more time to organize it, yeah, it would have been great to like get one of those like thrones on, on the poles. I really wanted to boat um, through a, just just sort of turn like, you know, because what was it? Bay A, single scholars were boating out of that year. Just have like a dry ice machine on the edge of the boat tents. And the, the whole tunnel of people's like, you know, you know, like they do in, um, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Globo Gym Purple Cobras. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are the Globo Gym Purple Cobras, and we will, we will rock you. And everybody's just like, <laughs> can you imagine boating through like dry ice and like, you've got like a tunnel of a hundred people just doing that? Though Malcolm Howard wouldn't have known what hit him. <laughs> I mean, he would because he still won by four and a half laps, but he'd have been more psyched. Yeah. So. I mean, that would have been hilarious. Introducing laser. And Taser. So that guy's name Blazer, Taser, and all kinds of other razors. <laughs> so I think, I think it's likely that maybe Nick Middleton even like gone out of his way to get musical lessons for that exact occasion a few months before. Probably. Yeah. We took it out of marketing budgets to pay for him. So yeah. <laughs> I definitely like, I'm thinking now, like again with the podcast and like talking to rowers, I sort of like this, uh, something comes up and it reminds me of a story and I kind of want to tell this story, but I'm at the same point where it's like, I have no idea like how much of that is actually true. Like I can't remember if I got it. If the person who told me was involved or they've heard it from someone else, mm. and you're a bit like, oh, I don't know if I should tell that, but. 
I think it sounds like there's some truth in all of the big ones, but how much? Well, I tried to connect with Peter Haining on LinkedIn, so this is going to be in the works. Maybe we'll get this story firsthand so, through. So poor Peter Haining's opening up his LinkedIn DMs, and there's somebody there saying, did you get a horse to shit in your friend's room? <laughs> <laughs> is that is that how you opened? <laughs> that's but that's also not the only that's not the only rowing related horse story I've heard. Another someone else told me this yeah, I won't name the club. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But um <laughs> same thing. They they uh one of the juniors thought it would be hilarious whilst on camp to lure this horse into there was like a, a long corridor that all the rooms were on. It was a fire exit at one end and reception at the other end, but with the door. So he's lured him into this cupboard. He was the last one to leave before the session. So he's then shut the door and left for like two hours. Oh. The horse can't even turn around. So he loses his absolute shit, flies up and down the, this hallway, smashing the shit out of like everything. <laughs> they then come back, see this happen. So Obviously, kids like, you're out. But I yeah. can't imagine how much the Rowan Club would have had to pay in damages. God damn. It's, it's kind of funny. We We hear these wild stories about sort of, you know, generations that came before us but do you think the next sort of generation of rowers i guess those that are sort of coming up now do you think they're going to be sharing sort of the legendary stories of, of our generation well yeah because because you to you it doesn't seem like that big a deal but once it's been embellished 17 times yeah. it's a pretty fantastic story to tell now <laughs> and also we're going to share them out through this podcast i mean horses just must be really colorful <laughs> i have no horse related stories personally you don't no oh we saw. I was on training camp in a viz one year, and um, all the uh, all the like rooms have like a double door that opened out to a lawn, and there was like a there's a farmer's field on the other side. And one afternoon, we had the afternoon off. You could see that one of the horse was like super pregnant, just started like making a lot of noise and moaning and stuff, and literally watched it give birth in front of us. And like li- within about fifteen minutes of the horse hitting the ground, yeah, it was up. So and got walking a around. fall as well, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> Someone should be employed to catch them. <laughs> it was up and shaking around in like fifteen minutes, and I remember thinking, like, how useless it it takes humans like like fifty like ten years at least to have any level of being able to look after yourself. Mm. Like even as a ten year old, you're not really capable of it. Yeah, and like this horse is just wandering around after fifteen minutes. Yeah, I've watched enough David Attenborough documentaries of like baby turtles, like literally the millisecond they're out the egg, they're like legging it to the beach because they know there's like snakes trying to get them. It's like they they just they're two minutes old and they already know what to do. Yeah, we are a pretty useless species. Yeah. I think about it. But uh, yeah, seeing as you mentioned uh, falling a long way, we were discussing before just something else. <laughs> Again, like this is a story which I know and I've heard, and I think I know who told it to me. I'm not 100% whether it was him that did it or he was telling us about a friend that did it, but shout out to Nico Wright, who uh, who said that on a night out, he, when asked what his job was by a girl, he would say that he was a baby giraffe catcher at the local zoo. And then they would also obviously be like, that's bullshit, like, what do you mean? And then he would like, he had this little story prepared that would be like, well, you know, you think about how long how long a drop it is for a giraffe to... Yeah. So when they give babies, so yeah, I work at this zoo and obviously, you know, I work and clean them out, but like a big part of my job is making sure that I catch the babies when they're pregnant and stuff. And then to further like reinstate that this was true, he then would have already put on his phone uh, a screenshot. Uh, Yeah, his, his like background of his phone would have been like a baby deer to like reinforce this. I'm not sure I can condone like lying horrifically. I think, yeah, I think, I think probably by the end of it, it's like a, it's like a, 
it's like a foot in the door, isn't it? Like, yeah, I don't think she's going to believe forever. <laughs> but like, every, everybody loves Baby Jarax, right? I mean, forget his like very successful investment banking career. Like, if you work with Baby Jarax, that's probably like that's more fun. The pinnacle, yeah, the pinnacle of your career. You can yeah, imagine yeah. being like six months in, you'd be like, uh, uh, Dave, um, I'm in a bit of a pickle here. Um, I'm now six months into a pretty long term, you know, pretty like high level relationship, and she still thinks I catch giraffes. <laughs> like, you'd be like, how do I get out of this one? I am. I had a bit of a funny one like that a while ago um i remember when when we were at cambridge um we got told that when when they announce that the cruise the tabloid papers do have a little bit of a tendency of trying to sort of dig up your your social media and having a little bit of a rummage through they try to find some dirt yeah on you and it's like it's not cool i don't like that sort of media but, some um, old fancy dress that was a bit inappropriate, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we were all, you know, we were all told to like go back through your historical social media, clean anything, try and make your social media private, all of that. And so we all did that. And as an extra, how many how many terabytes of photos did you have to delete? <laughs> <laughs> as, as an extra layer of, of of precaution, I um I actually had to change. I changed my name on Facebook. I changed from Dave Bell to Dale Bev instead <laughs> and i forgot that your facebook connects to your tinder so one night and i, I didn't realize my tinder had automatically updated as well so one night i kind of i go out on this day and we have a really nice time and at the end of it she says i had a really lovely time dale i'm thinking oh shit like i didn't know what to do i didn't know how to explain that i just that that's not actually my name. And in, in hindsight, I probably should have just explained it. Yeah, but it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, when you let it go too long. <laughs> I, I, I'd let it go too long, just like you said. And I thought, I don't know what to do. I just can't see her again now. So I didn't. So oh, talking sorry. about awkward first dates, I think we should definitely mention the one I had at the end. Oh, you've had many awkward first dates. <laughs> uh, take your pick. So, well, uh, what was it? my first mistake was and we met on we went on a night out and I met this girl and my phone had died of battery so I got one of the other I think I got you to take her phone number down mm -hmm. me and my innocentness thought that oh Dave will just keep that number for me and then just give it to me when I need it no <laughs> Dave messages it to every other guy in the in the uh, <laughs> in the group and you all start like harassing this girl via text message oh god with semi-hilarious i think she found it quite funny but then like there's like eight guys like yeah it hilarious to text it i i i mean i prefer your um i i, I can't remember how you met her but i remember when we lived in in nettle beds together this is sort of back what october september 2008 something like that Hello, seven yeah because you, you were you were a chef of the house right um was i yeah, Is that you, how you, you remember me? You were an absolute culinary genius. Like, this guy, this Tom was like an absolute pioneer of pasta and beans as a first date dish. <laughs> like, 30p all in on a first date. Like, like Tesco value pasta and Tesco value beans. Like, With cheese. Well, was there cheese as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cheese vendor. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a first date meal, pasta and beans. Yeah, but I remember you were absolutely berating me. I did then date that girl for seven years, so I did something right. It's just a big fact. I once, I once took that meal 
to I used to work at a Hendy cinema and I made like pre-made like pasta beans and cheese <laughs> and I got it out during the break to eat my lunch and I was working with an Italian girl mm-hmm. and she she like she was like fucking disgusted <laughs> she was like you were you were spitting on my family like she was absolutely disgusted <laughs> spitting on my family did she actually use those words no no okay, okay but that fine. effectively was just like you are like yeah you were like like pasta is like part of my yeah, you know, it's like, country, it's, my family, it's like, like it's part of us, and you yeah. just fucking destroyed Italians it. Italians will never not take offense if you do pasta bad. They, yeah, they they take their cuisine very seriously. And yeah. like pasta, you serve that like fancy pesto, get some nice grated parmesan, bit of you know basil and vinegar on top of that. Like you don't just chuck some beans on it, like, unless you want to date a girl for a really long time. Yeah, so, you know what? Like you must have been very charming otherwise. Seven years, something well. must have done something well. Um, but no, so with that other girl, I then set up a date and then all you boys were like, oh, where are you going? Where are you going? And I'd learned my lesson from that point. I was like, I'm not bloody telling them where I'm going on a date in Henley. Of course, I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> anyway, I was like, I had about three pounds in my bank account. So obviously we were going to Weatherspoons. <laughs> so, so I took this girl to Weatherspoons, really nervous. Like first day, I've only met her out in a club for like an hour or whatever. And I got a number and, uh. We sit down at Weatherspoons. I swear I didn't even have, like, I had so little money. I think I had, like, a lime soda. Like, I, like, had no money. Um, had a drink. It was still sort of nervousness, like, trying to, you know, get to know each other a bit. And then a waitress comes over to the table oh, no. with a large plate and written and says, this is for you, and puts the plate down in front of the two of us. And written in ketchup on this plate is, I love you, will you marry me? <laughs> And I was just like, oh my God. I'm so sorry. I then, I look. funny at the time. I instantly look up and like scan the room and I just see like five guys with hoods up in the corner just like pissing themselves. <laughs> I should have known that they would find me. Presumably your thought price pattern was like, it's Tom. He's skin as fuck. He'll definitely be in Weatherspoon. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, but. We did, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to figure that one out. <laughs> but, I don't know why I thought I'd be safe. We like, we, it was our first guest, so we're like tiptoeing around, like because uh, if I remember, you were sort of on that table next to the next to the um sort of the beer garden, like the booth, yeah, yeah. So we're in the um, the family section, and we've sort of convinced one of the waitresses to actually get on board with this idea. So yeah, we've just got this empty plate, and we're wasting so many ketchup sachets trying to get this right. It was very like Greta Thunberg wouldn't be happy with us. <laughs> <laughs> but, we um yeah, so we spent ages just kind of you know going through these ketchup sachets, just writing you know letter by letter. It took us ages, yeah. but the the waitress was fully on board, and yeah, she thought this is really really funny. And she's yeah, she goes and delivers it over to your table. First day ketchup proposal. Uh, it was great. to be fair, actually, it turned out to be quite a good marker of like how much banter a girl has because she took it really well and thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it's like oh, obviously it's a lad here, and she was thought it quite funny. I was like, oh, that's kind of a good icebreaker kind of thing, actually. Because like yeah. now, at least I know she can take a joke. Yeah. If she yeah. like threw her drink in my face and left, I'd be like, okay. Then. <laughs> yeah, re- realistically, like if you if you can't see the funny side of something like that, this is probably not a friendship circle she should get involved. In. Yeah, no, definitely not the wrong one. Yeah. Yeah. It did. That didn't last too long anyway. <laughs> but uh, now, fun times. Yeah, we uh, we messed around a lot. That those, those few years at Leander, we were just, we were just, we were a raucous bunch. That's for sure. It's weird because I remember um, turning turning up at Leander. I I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. 
at the time. I had had a sort of slightly dotted around career, you know, a little bit at University of Hertfordshire, go home for the summer, go to my local club, which was Huntingdon Boat Club at the time, it wasn't a particularly serious club. Went to go train with St. Neat's Rowing Club for a little while. They had a fairly good like junior coach, but couldn't really train with a junior group of that long. So I thought I needed to go somewhere. And that's when I started to look at Leander. Um, so I remember sort of being on my way to Leander and I had no idea what to expect, but I just thought to myself, I'm going to get there and that the people I'm going to train with, they're going to be, they're going to be gods. They're going to be so serious. Like everything's going to be about performance and rowing and it's all going to be so serious and professional all the time. And I just remember my our first night out when I can't remember where we were. It might've been White Lotus or something like that. Must've been, yeah. But I'm, I'm sort of going, I'm walking towards the toilet and uh, a guy called Josh is coming out the other way, one of the other guys on the squad. And I'm, you know, I'm idolizing these guys. These are the people who've been there before. I think they're like the most serious professional athletes I've ever met. And he just comes out and taps me on the shoulder and goes, mate, don't go in there. The bouncer has been a dick on the way in. So I've left bangers and mash in the toilet. <laughs> and there's like sweet, innocent Dave, like uh, uh, semi-sweet and innocent relatively. I'm just, I'm thinking bangers and mash, you know, like that's, you know, my, that, I grew up on that as a childhood cartoon. Um, what's, what's bangers and mash, sir? Um, Right, basically, you just put a load of bog roll in the toilet so it blocks it, and then you do a shit on the top. <laughs> Stop thinking these are meant to be like the most professional athletes in the country, and like <laughs> just I, around doing crap like that. I remember I had the exact same thought process, and I went for a trial before I turned up in August. I went for a trial weekend, like at the start of the summer, and I remember I turned up and Caroline met Caroline and she was like, oh, uh, there's not many people around at the moment. I don't know if they've been on a camp or whatever. There's there's a couple boys upstairs. I'll go in there. Uh, I'll go and introduce you to them. And I won't, I'll say their names. I won't say who it was. You, I, I can tell you after. I meet these two lads um, and they're like, not, yeah, not even on the computer in the crew and they're on the computer in the main office and they are laughing at, at Facebook photos from a night out. And I, uh, I will save the story because it's a bit gross. But um, there was plenty of other times. There was like, um, in the bull where we used to go on the night out, they had those low beams. Do you remember the low wooden beams? Yeah. And at the end of the night, the bouncers wouldn't let anyone climb on it. So at the end of the night, like six of us would just jump up, attach ourselves to it, and just see how long it took the bouncers to drag <laughs> us off it. Uh, that that's, reminds me of um, my first memory of joining Cambridge. Do you know? Do you know what swaps are? No, go on. So, so one of the challenges they have there is obviously. You, because it's a very condensed season, you've got to get everybody to be, you know, you've got to form a team quite yeah. quickly. So they do quite a few socials quite early on in the season to get everybody to know everybody else. And one of the things they like to do is a swap where you just take all the all the men's rowing squad would team up with the women's squad from a different sport. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think we were going on a swap with, uh, I think, the women's hockey team. Yeah, they call it a crew day, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we just called them swaps. Okay. Cambridge. In Oxford, um, crew dates, yeah. But one of the things they do is that one person from each team have to sort of be the sort of like the presidential couple. And they get to set all the rules for the evening. But at any point, you can team up with somebody from the other squad and you can challenge for a presidency. And the, the existing president can set any challenge they like. If you complete that challenge, you two get to become the presidents. It's all good fun, right? Yeah. So you get some fairly wacky challenges. And one of my, one of the sort of common ones was, it's just called bare ass ceiling touch. 
So, you know, rules are very simple. If you can get your bare ass cheek to touch the ceiling, you get to become the president. So, so we're in, uh, we're in uh, this, um, what's it called? It's Curry King, I think it was called. Curry King in Cambridge. It was just, you pay £10, you get like a three-course curry. It was the most rancid thing. This story cannot end well. <laughs> no, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't end, no, it doesn't end badly at all. Like, it's just, um, my, my first memory of being at Cambridge was um, a guy called Freddie Davidson, was basically he's quite quite a young guy at the time like absolutely brilliant successful rower now like really really respectful i've heard of him he's pretty good isn't he he's yeah. pretty good he's pretty good but he's what he's also very good at is getting his ass to touch ceilings <laughs> oh yeah see yeah. he's a pro that's, that's my first memory are you allowed to use someone else to help you uh you you can have the other person you're challenging with okay to help you so yeah my first memory was Freddie trying to get his ass to touch the ceiling in this rancid curry restaurant so, and i'm just i'm sat there eating this what you know like pigeon tikka or whatever the hell it was and, and i'm just thinking what the hell have i signed up for here <laughs> like um but you know like dicking around if there's rafters rowers are going to try and dick around on them yeah. for, for various reasons that like transcends all rowing squads i remember so, what so, was that how you became president sorry that's how you become president of the swap that's not how you become president of cbc <laughs> so, yeah so that's how you become president of of the swap and then you and whoever you challenge with you get to make the drinking rules for the rest of the evening until someone else challenges you yeah, yeah. yeah that's not an official way to become C president cbc presidency is far more rigorous and formal so. <laughs> i dread to think what you have to do to become a cbc president that reminds like, me of uh what was the curry house called that we used to go to that had all you can eat on sunday blue oh um not Blue Mountain State. That's just that's a TV show. Um, Blue. They had a couple of names, but I remember we basically got kicked out on a couple of occasions. There's, there's Himalaya Spice. Yeah, they were like, "You're eating too much. You have to leave now." <laughs> <laughs> when all you can eat buffet. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the, the um, Himalayan, as it, as we called it, so, um, I think that's closed now. But they do all you can eat for ten pounds on Thursdays. Yeah, yeah. And the options, he'd just come out and he'd say, "Do you want spicy or girly?" Oh, yeah. that, that was it that's yeah. just what he'd say to us yeah so and he'd always go to go right up to Ro the guy called roger ewing whenever we'd go over the henley road roger. yeah he'd just slap him on the shoulder and say how spicy you want today and roger's like oh, fucking hell. roger just couldn't sort of bring it upon himself to say i want the girly curry yeah, yeah. like it, i mean you know curries obviously exist on a bit more of a spectrum but it was <laughs> I yeah, they just wanted to just plaster us full of as much hot curry as they could that night. Just to laugh at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Roger. I don't know whether it was well earned or just because it rhymed, but Roger the Ergo Dodger was. Uh, <laughs> it was well earned at all. Like he was one of the best at. Uh, oh, he had a savage erg. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like drawing up to his forehead every finish. <laughs> Do you remember he came and lived in our apartment? No, no. I remember <laughs> when he wanted to stay with us for like two or three nights in the living room and ended up living there for like over like two months or something like that. Probably longer years living in the living room on an old mattress. On yeah. like half an old mattress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember he, he had his girlfriend stay over a couple of times and occasionally... Is in Victoria? I can't remember. Anyway. But yeah, occasionally I'd have like forgotten my hoodie or something in the morning. Mm. So you like, you kind of try and sneak into the living room to put your head up because you're on the training. And it's just Roger and his girlfriend fully naked, like lying like spread out on the mattress. And you're just trying to be like, oh my God. But also he didn't even have a key for the place. So I remember on a Sunday I came back, like everyone had gone away from the weekend. And I came back at like 9 p.m. Like parked my bus up, like with the lights on, there's like a car in front of me. Mm. And then I just see in front of me, I just see like a head pop up in the car in front of me. I was like, that's a bit weird. And I get out of the van and then Roger gets out of that car and he's like, ah, I'm happy someone came home. 
was like, he was like, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't get in. I was like, well, what were you going to do? He's like, ah, I'd, I'd bed it down for the night in the car. <laughs> <laughs> but that was so. That was a three-bed flat that five of us lived in. Yeah, talking had, about sacrifices too. Because what was it? You had um, so was it me, you, Webby, and Tom Cannon? Tom Cannon had joined us, had, had joined Leander at the start of the season, and then um, as a aspiring lightweight weighed in, I think eighty-one kilos for the first two K test, and um, got the promptly sure. promptly ended his Leander career. Um, but wasn't that like two days after he signed a six-month contract? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just we just signed this contract in our old place on Watlington Street. So it was a three-bedroom place, and we had the living room. But you had that sort of big bedroom in the middle yeah. that became Webby and Cannons, and they just put like a they, they just instead of having separate rooms, they just put some cupboards. They had a big wardrobe in, in the, the middle. middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not there fun. was two doors, so it was originally two rooms, but the middle ward had been taken out. So they they did originally have a door each, mm. and they put the the cupboard in the middle, but then Webby room just piled. He had like so much dirty washing and stuff piled up in front of his door that they ended up just using the same door anyway. <laughs> that house was pretty filthy. That whole that whole period was just fantastic. I remember that whole campaign was so much fun. You sort of mentioned the the, the computer that we had in the crew room. Oh yeah, is. It's weird because this was before smartphones really took off. We couldn't use Facebook on our phones. So we right. all we did so much kind of goofing around on that computer. I remember <laughs> you remember when you snuck off on the last weekend before our Henley campaign? You sort of went back home to Worcester to go do a triathlon on your day off. And then was it you got ill off the back of that, if I remember rightly? No. So uh it was Marlo. So Marlo was on the Saturday. Mm. So we'd done Marla Regatta on the Saturday and then we had Sunday off. And yeah, so that's when does Marla's about 10 days before Henley starts. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so then I'd gone home that Sunday and my school used to do this charity triathlon thing. But, but, so this, so then, and then, yeah, so I did this thing. I'll explain later what it is. So I did it and one of the other guys took photos and then you boys found this hilarious and like stitched these three photos together on the computer <laughs> not, not us boys not us boys charles Pitfork, pitchfork well probably someone who hadn't made the temp who hadn't made the temps cafe who was yeah pissed. yeah yeah the, the, the guy who was subbing in for you while you were out ill because we we moved back to the henley stretch we we're doing some pieces of durham oh uh, okay yeah yeah so and pitchfork was subbing in for you and yeah, yeah. When you made that little montage. Yeah, so I did get. So I was, I wasn't, re I wasn't super ill, but yeah. So to continue the story, yeah. So he's made that montage, and people find out, and then someone tells Brian. So then Brian calls. I think that meeting, like, I wasn't feeling super well. I'd said something to Brian, and then Brian was like, "Right, call me up for a meeting." Was like, "Right, you know, what, what are you doing? Like, doing travel?" And it's like, "This is a joke." And I was like, and now I had to explain to him. I was like, "Right, like, all you've seen is three photos." So the reality of this triathlon is it's a 250-meter swim in in a small lake that you can wade. So it's a 250-meter wade. You don't yeah. even really swim. It then was like a seven-mile bike ride and then like a, I don't know, 15-minute run or something. Yeah. Like it was a proper charity thing. Like it was really small. And I was, I was pretty like scared at the time because I thought obviously Brian thinks I'm not taking this seriously or whatever. It was pretty chill. I did it very chill with my mate. I just wanted to turn up and like support the school or whatever. But then I think the thing that got me out of it, because Brian was like, you know, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, listen, look, I might have gone and done exactly. 
some exercise, <laughs> but you don't know that all the other boys went and got absolutely fucked up on Saturday night after Milo. <laughs> and that kind of stopped Brian in his tracks a little bit because then he was like, oh, okay, uh, well, yeah. But then it's like, right, you know, you've told me you're a bit ill, so go home. He sent me home. I literally left Leander, like, called my mum and dad crying. I was like, I've been kicked out. I've been kicked out. Like, that's it. Like, I'm not getting back in. Yeah. Because he was he was pissed about it. I don't think he was ever going to kick me, kick me out. Just the way it worked, whatever. Um, yeah. I had a like, couple of days off and then came back. Yeah. We, we, you're, you're right. We did go out on the piss pretty hard about 10 days out from Henley starting, which in hindsight was probably pretty stupid. But we were all idiots. We so, were all, so was doing a triathlon. Maybe. The thing is, like, you know, at the time, I, I was, what, 21? You were, what, like, 14 19. or something? <laughs> so, like, your, your kidneys are just indestructible yeah, at yeah, that yeah. age. Like, it didn't matter how hard we went. We were always just fresh as daisies yeah. within 36 hours. Yeah. So, oh, it's different then. It was like the the unwritten rule of Henley back, back then was just that all the rowing clubs would always go out on the Saturday night. Upper Thames, Henley, and Leander would all just go on the sesh every Saturday night, and every Saturday night was wild in town. Seems to have gotten a little bit quiet ever since then, but... Well, you know, yeah, we spoke to Ben Lewis, who sort of said that that, 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 time, that period, like 07, 08, was sort of like the beginning of the... Like, GB had got very professional when, like, Caption turned up in 03, mm. and then that's kind of fed down to the club, the professional era of club rowing kind of came in after that. Yeah. So that was kind of one of the last couple of years where you could just... Train fucking hard, but then go out and get pissed on the Saturday as well. I did kind of miss it because I thought it was just a very good way to become friends. So you go out and you have some, you you let your hair down, you blow off some steam, you 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 forge some silly memories with your friends. And I know what last time I came on, we spoke about this a little bit, but you can get all these results and you can go super fast, you can pull big ergs, you can win some medals, but when you're retired it sort of dawns on you a little bit for the, the friendships that you forged and silly memories that you made of each other that stays with you just as much yeah they're the fun bits that last and you every time you yeah every Henry regatta you bump into the same people you tell the same stories they're just as hilarious yeah yeah they just get a little bit better each year yeah, just yeah. Get, the details just get a bit more exaggerated <laughs> so the old the older i get yeah. the better i was i just oh god i've I heard so many over exaggerated stories about my own stupid antics from that era. So when they come when they they, they come back to haunt me. But I mean I just remember being at home countries twenty sixteen we were out in Cardiff and then uh, it was with the England team and then we went to get dinner the night before the race or something. And that's like one of the first times that I've met you and one of my first memories of you. Did just... you know do you know who he was before? No. Okay. No, no. But you were in a uh, they was in a double with Seb Devro and shout out. And then I just remember you guys like going to get some food because we all needed to get dinner the night before the racing. And, uh, and I just remember you asking the, um, the woman who was serving the food if they have any raw vegan options. And I was like, well, at that point, I've never heard of a raw vegan diet. So I was like, what's a raw vegan diet, Dave? And you were like, well, these swans won't feed themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was just, I was full of awkward chat up lines throughout my 20s it's it's weird because you know since turning 30 i've completely forgotten how to speak to girls but back then i was actually you know semi-witty and charming at the same time <laughs> do you still have the i remember you like eloquently explaining the the magic seven magic seven with how you apply aftershave and you gave you were giving me and webby you're like listen boys this is how you do it it's like one two three 
four. Are you sure this was me and not Duffy? No, this is you. This is me. Definitely you. Because okay. it was like one, two, three, four, five, six down there. <laughs> and then you were like, but the secret bit is like one spray here. Oh, because. Yeah, yeah on, the, being, on the McDonald's logo. Yeah, because <laughs> being, being, being tall. And when you're out in nightclub, it's really loud. You always lean down in to speak to a girl and then she's going to smell. And I was like, that makes that sense. That's pretty good. That's like, genius. But I'm not tall. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really work. This maybe, is going to work for you. Maybe that's why you're explaining it to me. I don't know. Yeah, 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 maybe. But I know that is, that is absolutely genius. I have used that since. <laughs> I must say. The Magic 7. Yeah, and it does work. Oh. There you go. Yeah. Did you pair it up with pasta and beans? Uh, I'm yet to get to that stage. Yeah, just, you know, give the girls a chance. I mean, <laughs> you ch- I, I did, I made pasta beans and cheese for myself maybe last week one time. Yeah. It's still, it, where you trying to take yourself out. It's still a solid meal. It's very, com- it's comfort food. Comfort yeah. food, yeah. 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 Um, Many happy memories. That wasn't, yeah, man, I, I remember we just do, we would do like a food run. I'd take Webby in the old camper van. And maybe you as well sometimes, because obviously we live miles away. So we'd go and do like a food run. And I just, I think the best I did was 60 cans of Tesco Valley food for 13 pounds. And I was like super proud of that. I remember in that camper van, we used to play a game on the drive to Henley. So, because we were living in Nettlebed at the time. So you've kind of got this very long straight road. And then there's like this top of the hill around about Bix. Yeah, yeah. And then it's sort of down this another long hill. And then you've got the fair mile. We used to play this game on the drive down to Leander each morning where we'd see how, we'd just put it in neutral and see how far we'd coast. Yeah. So we had this VW camper van and we'd be ragging it at, you know, 100 mile an hour plus or whatever that thing's top speed was going up this. You mean 60 plus? Sorry. We'll just max out at whatever the national speed limit is on that road. Yes. <laughs> and then we just, uh, you know, as soon as we hit the crest of the hill, we just slap it in neutral, reset the counter, and everybody would just sit there and Tom's just like, steering it you know engine off everything's absolutely fine i think we got like 2.3 miles not in that one in webby so we we got we oh, set a few in the van and then webby was like right i'm gonna beat this because you say like i i can only get the van to 70 at the top of the hill when he's starting whereas webby in his car is then like foot to the floor just hit the top of the hill bang it in neutral and yeah i think we got to like the speed camera down the end of the fair mile oh yeah that's one time you were like, we were within the speed limit again. Yeah, within but, the speed limit. But you also forced me to do a to 60 a few times in the van. Did the van hit 60? <laughs> we did. We did. It took about three weeks. I was yeah, super was proud. Stupid. Like, we, we did. I remember the one we did. I was like, yeah, guys, this, yeah, but I've got you two in the van as well, you know, and I was trying to make excuses. And you're like, yeah, shut up like, and just we're in do the front it. front seat, like doing it downhill. Like, Let's do it. And we did. We did to 60 and recorded 28 seconds. And I Googled slowest not to 60 time of production car and it was like a, it was like a Ford Galaxy people carrier that came off the production line with a not to 60 of 32 seconds so I was like not the slowest <laughs> yes <laughs> I've still got that man it's parked out there yeah yeah. yeah. I, you sleep in it sometimes don't you? yeah you go camping in it around my mate's field he's got a, it's much better than a campsite he owns a field where you can make as much noise as you want and no one can hear you Beautiful, massive fires and a couple beers. And do you remember? There's another time when we were we came to work one morning and we saw the car in the ditch. That car that had like come off the side of the road and buried itself in the ditch. You don't remember that? C- came back from work. No, we were going in the morning to to rowing. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we came down the so fair. It was called rowing work. Sorry, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> work. We never worked together. We rowed together. Uh, 
Oh, we did a bit. And there was that car. Coffee exchange. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's a good story. (laughs) So, um, back, um, you know, it was back in sort of 07, 08 when we were doing our Thames Cup campaign. Tittlemouse was working at the Henley Cinema. Um, I don't think we've explained that nickname yet either. That's a nickname story for another time. But, um, and I was working at Starbucks, you know, store coffee master, frappuccino expert that I was. And I'd finish work at six. They'd finish, um, Tom and Webby would finish work at about eight. So if I'm getting a lift home, I've just got two hours to kill. So I just go work at the cinema for a little bit. So, um, I just go, you know, if they had a coffee machine there, I'd just go help out, make some coffees, start helping myself to all the popcorn. It's just how we did it. So, so technically yeah, we did work together. We, yeah, bit, yeah. So. We just briefly showed you how to, because back then we used to still seat people. So you wait at the door, take someone's ticket, and then go and show them to their seats. So we just sort of, it wasn't hard, just showed Dave how to do that. And then we'd have an extra pair of hands. He'd just sit yeah. on screen three and see it. But in a Starbucks uh, top, <laughs> and like some customers would notice this and be like, oh, like, why have you got a Starbucks top on? And Dave has explained. Yeah, I just I just called it the Henley Coffee Exchange, where you sort of, Starbucks would send their baristas around town to train up lesser experienced <laughs> baristas. And nobody, nobody ever questioned it. So... so. <laughs> When the excuse is too good, no one's even going to bother. Like, yeah. be like, what's up? Yeah, as long as they get a nice copy, they're happy. Yeah, yeah. So. The cinema was, me and Webby both worked there for about three years. Mm-hmm. And I got promoted to manager after two weeks. And Webby never got a promotion in three years. This was, um, <laughs> I, oh God, this, I remember when we all first started working there. I remember your manager at the time was a um, lady sort of, Late fifties, maybe early sixties, something like that. A little bit, little bit, little bit on the flirty side. Yeah, if I recall, she was she was keen on the uh, on the rowers. Yeah, yeah. And because we were all staying in the dorm at the time, we thought it'd be really funny to get your phone when you'd left it unattended no. and swap her number round with Webby's number. I do you remember that. I I had forgotten this, and I now I uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we've got Webby texting Tom, pretending to be his his new boss, being like, you know, you, you were looking really good in those trousers today. <laughs> Obviously, I have to keep my flow. I have to be very professional in the workplace, so I, I can't send you messages. I can't talk to you like this in person, but you, know, you look great. Like, really, really flirty messages. And all the time, it was just Webby just minding him up. And we sat there in the dorm in the evenings. They're like, because we used to go to bed at like half six. Yeah. And we were all staying in the dorm together. And we'd all just be chatting rubbish. And Webby would just kind of go quiet for a few minutes. And then Tom would sort of pipe up and be like, guys, I've just got another weird message from my boss. <laughs> like, and we're all in on it <laughs> at this point. <laughs> we're all just biting our tongue. We're just enjoying the stitch up. And I think what, what broke the whole gag at one point was you kind of reached the end of your tether and thought, right, fuck, I've, just, I've just got a ringer. And Webby's phone starts going off. <laughs> and the penny just dropped. For the record, she was, she was actually lovely and very oh, yeah, very lovely. supportive of the rowers and stuff, which was funny. But, you know, I do remember that now. I'm just getting, like, feeling more and more awkward. Like, oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> like, I'm, like, way too young to, like, be able to, like, bring this up with her. Like, I don't know how to, I don't even know how to respond to this. Yeah, you're, you're like this, like, 19-year-old who's trying to make a good impression at your new job. You've yeah. just been promoted to like cinema manager or whatever it was. And that, that sounds a lot more impressive. Yeah, than, than, I bet than you started thinking that the promotion was probably because of that reason as well. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Webby was just sort of getting back at him because he, he never got that promotion. Instead, he had to wear his Michael Jackson gloves um, <laughs> when he was on shit. <laughs> um, he got really, really bad blistered hands from camp. He came back from his hands and his, uh, his hands were so bad. And obviously you're serving like drinks at the bar. Yeah, yeah. So the assistant manager, uh, the manager, she said that... Um, 
there was like too too rough like there's no way you're gonna have to wear some gloves and then comes out with like literally like like mickey mouse white velvet <laughs> you know like like someone who's doing an auction at bonham yeah. or whatever like and he used to have to wear these and it it looked way more weird like it made him stand out so much more yeah yeah yeah. he may as well have just started like moonwalking <laughs> down around the counter going every time he serves someone <laughs> He got his own back though in a few in a few ways in that cinema. The one way every time he finished on shift, when he turned the um sound system off, would then put the volume on maximum. Because oh, the manager would yeah. then every morning the manager would sort of come in, like turn the lights on, turn the coffee machine on, turn that on, flick the button on, go and walk off into to the other end of the bar and then just <laughs> like to the point we had like a full team meeting and she was like, To the person who does that, if I catch you I'm going to fire you because you scared the shit out of me every morning <laughs> for the last three weeks. Oh, that's a, yeah, I mean, there's some real perks of that job, though. I remember... Free obviously, popcorn. Yeah, the, the free popcorn. Like, so, because me, Tom Webby, and Tom Cannon were all living together at the time and with Rog on the sofa. Um, they'd finish a shift, and obviously you've got to throw out all the popcorn at the end of it. So Tom would just, you know, not wanting to, you know, let anything go to waste, maybe saving it for a first date in the future. We'll just <laughs> fill these bin bags up with loads of, like, literally entire bin bags full of popcorn and we'll just dump them in the living room and we'd all just slap one. I think we, we were quite big on watching 24. At the yeah. Time. I think that was our go to. Webby was obsessed with 24. Yeah. But he loved 24. Yeah. Like it was just such a binge worthy show. Yeah, it was. So we'd get our Sundays off and we'd just watch like, an, you know, maybe not an, an entire season of 24. We're not going to go midnight to midnight. But we just watch crappy DVDs all day and just nice. shovel down entire bin bags. Yeah, <laughs> yeah literally eating popcorn out of a bin bag. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, like that's it. Like you can talk about like the sacrifices of uh, of like working hard and all the rest of it. But also, it is like sharing a three bedroom house with five mates and just making the best of it. Having to buy everything Tesco value food, having some crappy part time job that fits around your rowing schedule. Mm. Like these are the other things that you have to kind of put in. But but that's that's also the fun of it, isn't it? Like just those early years, just like there was no expectation. It yeah. was just like let's let's have a go, let's have a laugh and see what happens. Yeah, I've always kind of thought that as you get older in rowing, the the opportunity cost of doing it starts sure. to get bigger. So you feel like you have to justify better and better results to want to keep going. I, I know that's maybe not applicable to everybody, but certainly on the sort of pointy performance end of the spectrum if you're going to keep going into your late 20s early 30s you want to be aiming for some pr- you ha- you want to get some big stuff because you start uh, having to sacrifice more like as a 19 year old you're not missing any of your mates weddings yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you don't have any money for a holiday anyway yeah like yeah. if you're 18 19 20 you're not exactly putting your career on hold to yeah go train full-time for a couple of years yeah. if you're you know training two three times a day when you're 31 for example, you have put career and family plans on hold. Mm. Probably it's very hard to do both together. But yeah, those early years, you're right. There's just, there's so little opportunity cost. It doesn't matter if you earn seven pounds an hour working at the cinema and live off scraps all year. You can just have a bloody good time. We were, I worked, so obviously it's back, it's a back, but I remember I was paid five pound 80 an hour. Six pound 14 at Starbucks. (laughs) I got an extra man. Yeah. I got five eighty to just be like a worker bee, and then when they made me a manager and gave me a set of keys and the alarms, and I opened up to close, managed a cinema with nine nine to twelve staff, three cinemas, maybe three or four hundred people at a time, three shows, 
close up, alarms, cash up, everything. Mm. I went from 580 to 680. And, but I was allowed to wear a shirt. I didn't have to wear a cinema polo. <laughs> Made it. Yeah, 580. And then with the hours that you can do around your training, I was probably making 150 quid a week. Mm. So you're making 600 pound a month. Rent is 300. Yeah. And then food and that's it. Yeah. What else have you yeah, got? Yeah. Like, you know, you've got like 20 quid a, 20 quid a month is like your budget for dating. Like, you, but you make it work. You yeah. crack out your lime soda. Lime soda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it works. Like, you, you go like, home and you make pasta beans and cheese. Ketchup getting delivered to you. <laughs> oh, I used to, yeah, I would, we would nick the ketchups and like, I'd take salt, uh, no sugar from Starbucks. I didn't buy sugar. We'd just go in Starbucks when no one's around and just One take time I was Starbucks. working at Starbucks and there's there this family that would come in and they just, Bring their their bowls. You know how you have sort of a, the milk in the jugs yeah. so you can top up your Americanos. They just turn up with bowls and cereal and spoons and they just start helping themselves. <laughs> all through, like literally in the middle of Starbucks in the morning. I didn't normally have to deal with it because I would work in the afternoons, but one morning shift I did. They're there just doing this and I thought, it's not my money going to waste. Like, do what you want. But I remember for another thing from you from Starbucks was like you working there was uh, you constantly trying to figure out what the most calorific drink was. So like one day you come back like, right, guys, I've got it. You start with the, the large white chocolate, hot chocolate, but then you go with the double pump of the syrup and you get this, this, and this, and you can slam about three and a half thousand calories. <laughs> it was, um, so, because they, they have some weird rules about how many calories drinks are allowed to have now. There was the, I think the most calorific drink they actually had on the menu was a venti caramel signature hot chocolate with whipped cream. Oh. It was about, it was like 860 calories. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like whatever. Um, but there, there are certain drinks that you have now where they're not allowed to serve them above a medium because they become too many calories. I think there's some sort of cap. I don't know what the cap is. Oh. But I, I've been to places where I'll say, um, is it possible to get a large one of these frappuccinos, for example? And they'll say, no, that's too many calories. You, you can't have that. Could I get two mediums then? Yes, of course. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I, I made this drink. I called it the white chocolate and caramel uh, cream frappuccino. So it's the, the white chocolate base. They used the white chocolate mockers, vanilla syrup, and I'd have this like caramel swirl that I just very artistically do, like this little caramel helix, I guess I should call it strictly. Um, it's something like 1,100 calories, but the rowers loved it. Oh, yeah. It's like the sweetest thing in the world. So people would come in and it became a very popular drink because people would see it around town and other people would start making it as a custom order. So I went to the, we had the, the area manager and I said, look, we've got this really popular drink that we've made. Can we start serving this? Could, you know, hoping that I could like launch the next Starbucks drink and make my millions. <laughs> and she said, no, sorry, because it's 1100 calories. And <laughs> we can't serve something with that many calories. So yeah, it's a real shame, but... But when you're like, yeah, you're 19, you're training four to six hours a day, your metabolism is already absolutely firing. Yeah. Like, that's the point in your life. When you're training that much, you can just eat whatever you want. Yeah. Like, at all times. I remember coming back from training, I'd literally get, like, a five-pack of donuts, custard donuts from Sainsbury's, and whipped cream just walked to college for my, like, A-levels, and... Guys from my crew would be like, deep throwing the whipped cream. Yeah, <laughs> literally. And the guys from my crew would be like, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, living life, leave me to it. I used to get a large, sometimes I, when I had some any money at all, would walk down to the fish and chip shop and get myself a large a large chips and two battered sausages. But then I'd get the three-piece fried chicken to eat on the way home. 
Sort of eat eat chicken on the way home and then get home and have my dinner. That that was one of the like the, the big things about stopping rowing was that you've got to realise that you should probably eat less. I, f- I physically couldn't. For me, I've been quite lucky in the way that it was like the training that like you would eat till you're full, go and do a mad session and then feel empty again. Whereas like if I ate till I fall and then didn't do anything, I could like the volumes could it's not possible. I've realized like if you're training and you're eating like say five, six thousand calories a day, you have that. So you're hungry all the time, but you're still eating enough calories to be gaining weight. So it's like shit, I'm hungry and I'm getting fat. Like how do how do I deal with this? Yeah, I, yeah. I sort of thought I thought of like so if I did it sort of to a high professional standard, say for like ten years, full time, full time athlete, trying to trying to you know get to the top. If you say that you average, obviously not all the time, but you could easily do six thousand calories a day on like any solid training day. So if you, if the average for a, for a human is two thousand a day, right? Mm. So in my ten year career, I've eaten thirty years worth of food, and then you think like that's probably why like there's no food that I'm like oh I couldn't live without it or I could never oh I could never miss that. It's like food. It's like completed it mate right. <laughs> <laughs> we used to we used to get by so cheaply back when we were because when we were all doing those little odd jobs around yeah. Henley uh, so you you were at the cinema so we'd always get you know our free tickets free popcorn help yourself some pick and mix whatever I was working uh, uh, unofficially it's <laughs> <laughs> so, okay we'll edit that out right <laughs> um, I was working at Starbucks and of course um, our manager was just awful with her sort of you know managing her whole orders so there'd be so much wastage at the end of each day so what was i on six pound 14 an hour so i'd come away um you know do a six hour shift get about like 37 quid as well my daily take home but i'd get given about 50 60 quids worth of like paninis and stuff did they give it to you because i remember when they started saying they weren't allowed to give you the food they were going to throw away yeah the 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 legend has it that in America they gave um, some paninis away to a, a homeless person, and the and then they got ill having eaten it. I don't know whether it was related or not, but apparently the person sued Starbucks right. successfully off the back of that. So Starbucks then adopted a policy of being very strict about throwing their wastage away. I might be wrong, but that's the the legend as as it was told yeah. around our store, but. Our manager didn't really care. But I definitely remember times when... We weren't going to sue. <laughs> I, I, f- I feel like I remember times when maybe when it was like a, a lot of stuff had got binned, when, like you said, you would finish at half seven, then come to cinema and wait for us. And then at half nine when we finish, then we'd drive around to Starbucks and you've put the rubbish out, but like all of the stuff you want to keep is in one bag. Yeah, yeah, I, I did do that. Yeah, we when, when obviously you've got like bags and bags full of rubbish and I'd have like all that wastage I'd put in one specific bin bag that I put like the, the far right of like the, the trash pile outside and yeah, do a little sneaky run and yeah. take that one and then same thing do you remember for a week. <laughs> do you remember when the cinema <laughs> had like a promote like an Alpro Soya promotion oh what like Alpro Soya like yogurts and soy milk no do I you not remember that one and then no. so we had like loads our, our fridge in 2A Watkinson for like three weeks was just wall to wall Alpro Soya yogurts and drinks <laughs> and that's what we lived off it's, it's, it's supposed to have like it's supposed to up your estrogen, isn't it? Too much soy. Oh so, yeah, like, yeah. We probably all get a bit emotional that week. <laughs> we did cry a lot that year. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's that's why. Yeah, just and I living off the Leander food. That's all quite different now. Speaking to Leander athletes, really? Yeah, you don't have a Leander card. You just you use your debit card to pay. 
and there's too many athletes for like individual breakfast orders so it's just like a big vat of porridge and like some eggs and stuff and you just kind of have to take what you can get it was, it was so cheap when we were as well one p literally one p for a bowl of porridge yeah um, I remember Charles Pitford used to just buy two bowls of porridge who? for breakfast. Charles Pit Pitchfork. <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> shout out, shout out. Great guy, great guy. Um, two bowls, he'd have two bowls of porridge. Yeah, yeah. That, I remember it, Owen would get, um, he'd always put a custom order in for 10 poached eggs, but he wanted the yolks removed. So he'd just have this plate of just churned up egg whites. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was it. That was his breakfast uh, every day. Like, jeez. That's a man we could talk about for a while. Yeah, that's uh... Did I, I don't know if, if I told you the story that he told me. See, this is another story that I'm sure over the years I've massively embellished, but I feel <laughs> like it was the story he told me. Yeah, was he said when I when he first came down to the he's proper like proper from the valleys in Wales, like mm -hmm. West Wales, like his dad. You're like no one in his family. Again, I'm me embellishing it. You know, no one in his family has barely even been to England. You know, he's visited London once. You know, proper Welsh family. You know, and, and this is a big deal. He's moving down to Henley. He's leaving home. He's 18. You know, he's going to go and do this rowing thing. So he drives down there with his dad and they park up in the undercar park and they go in, see where he's going to stay in his dorm and everything. They go into uh, his dad's, you know, telling him, oh, make sure you don't do, you know, make sure you wash your clothes and don't forget to do this and stuff. And they go and have lunch in Henley and they come back and uh, it's like, right, it's time for his dad to go. So, uh, he stands outside in front of Leander. His dad goes and walk, walks in the car, and like gets in the car, and sort of drives out, pulls around to see Owen, and puts his window down. And Owen said, uh, "You know, I was thinking, right, this is you know, last last bit of advice from my dad, you know, before as an eighteen year old man, before I go out and start my life." And he says, he winds the window down, and he goes, "Remember, Owen, never trust a man wearing jewellery." And then just drives off. <laughs> <laughs> that was like his final like snippet of advice yeah i'm just just scanning for jewelry as we speak like I yeah feel, i mean I feel your wedding ring is probably permissible yeah so. i think i'm allowed that one like, <laughs> yeah uh yeah i've got i've got a patron of travelers on oh i've got my earpiece now as well that's a bit dodge yeah it's weird like i couldn't see it behind the beard yeah i know like mate i, I barely your beards are looking great oh thank you thank you very much i barely ever see that earring and like we drive like normally tom drives when we go to rogate jobs mm. and i should be able to see that earring but i just forget about it for like yeah, months at a time it's it's hidden because the beard protrudes quite yeah. a bit we uh well i went out in Thai in thailand in january with my missus and uh she got a, she got a um a tattoo done at this place and i was just sat there for a few hours like ah, fuck it yeah i'm gonna take it off the beard off piss my own ear well, now I've got something to do it, but yeah. It was way less painful than I thought it would be. Way less painful than a tattoo. Tattoos are horrible. Do you guys ever get sponsored when you're rowing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this takes me back. Um, so, anyone who's ever been to any corner shop will be familiar with nourishment. You, you know nourishment, right? I, I, th I think I do, but for those listeners from outside of the UK, what is it? So nourishment is, it it markets itself as a high protein recovery drink. It comes in these these cylindrical cans. You you get them at pretty much any corner shop around the country. Yeah, but it's like it's like a can that you get like peas in. It's not like a drinks can. No, it comes in like yeah. a like a yeah yeah little little like um you know old school ring pull. You've got to rip the whole thing off. And, yeah. Um, it was, uh, yeah. I, I was sponsored by them. It does have a high protein content. It's, it's, it always has an insanely high sugar content at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it was something like 20 grams of protein and about 55 grams of sugar. I feel like we can't really <laughs> criticize the sugar, given we're here just boshing these um, 
pineapple flavored red. No, again, at the time, if you're doing that volume, that's what you need. Yeah, as as a recovery snack for yeah. rowers, it was probably great. Like you know, between sessions, it was actually a really good recovery drink. You got loads of sugar for your next session, which you're going to need. You've got your 20 grams of protein. It's, this is not an ad, by the way. <laughs> this is but nourishment. If you're listening, we will. <laughs> but if, but my if you want to send me some free crates, my address is. So. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I did used to I used to swear by these drinks, and I wrote to them one time and said, would you be interested in, in sponsoring me, perhaps? And yeah, they did. And they sent me crate after crate of the stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, I was sponsored by them for a few years. It was brilliant. Not only did they have nourishment, they actually developed a uh, one called Nourishment Active on no. the back of it. No. Yeah. No. I don't think they developed it specifically for me, but they had like a, a healthy... <laughs> they they had a, a healthy version of nourishment that was meant to be more complex carbs, for example. Oh, so, yeah, so even more sugar. So what? what? More, more sort of complex carbs. It was be- better for sort of endurance. Slow, yeah. slow release. So yeah. so what was the deal? What did they send you? Um. So I would provide them with some quotes from nice. their website. And, that, and and pretty much that that was it, really. And in return, I just get crates and crates of the stuff. I didn't get any money or no, no, no. that. But um, you know, crates and crates of stuff. I How got, often are they sending it to you? Uh, once a month. Mm. Yeah. So basically, I had for, I had enough for like two cans of nourishment per day wow. every day, and I couldn't I couldn't get through it fast enough. So I was dishing it out quite a lot to all my friends. But um, I got nourishment clothing as yeah. well. I did I did campaign for them to make a um a bacon flavored milkshake which they <laughs> did not they rejected that they definitely should have made like some all-in-ones for you with like some notion that could have they could have got more could, could have got some more athletes involved maybe i'm sure there would have been plenty of athletes i feel like <laughs> if they're gonna send you a crate of nourishment every month it also needs to come with a crate of rennies for all the hard bread you're gonna have from all that sugar <laughs> i got quite a uh, funny story from for trying to get sponsorship so we we already know what you're gonna say <laughs> do you yeah i do you, you remember me, this one you told me this like 12 years ago and it just made me laugh uh <laughs> but you, you go for it you go for it yeah for, for everyone else um it was always like the thing you wanted to get sponsored at the time. Like the the squad athletes had Lucasade, they had like an un, like unlimited supply of all these Lucasade drinks and stuff. So we always wanted to do it. And I did the first time I ever represented GB. We just did like a max max fixture. We didn't even like wear GB kit, I don't think, but it was like a GB under twenty three development eight max fixture against Goldie. We did some races, but I was like, right, I've officially like rode for GB now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna email. So I just like basically found every single company I knew. So like Maximus or Reflex, any any supplement company I could find at the time. And I did this preset email and like was just like, hi, like I use Maximus and I love Maximus and it's the best thing for me. And I and I was and I'm a GB athlete now. I'm on the pathway. I'm probably gonna go to under 23 world championships. And I sent it out to a few ones. And then on the Reflex one, I accidentally didn't change the product. So I sent an email to Reflex saying, hi, everyone at Reflex. I absolutely love Maximus and I'd really love to get sponsored by Maximus. Can you sponsor me to have Maximus? <laughs> and she emailed me back and like this woman emailed me back and had CC'd like a bunch of other people in the company and being like, look how, look what dickhead this is. And then like email me like, you probably need to check like the, like what, you know, you check your emails a bit closer before you send them. Yeah. 
I was like, oh God, I felt really annoyed. Because at the yeah. time, that was one I wanted. Because at that stage, proofreading should be a reflex. Oh, <laughs> Why do you think I became a professional athlete? Sorry, as the best I could muster. <laughs> Why do you think I became a professional athlete? Like, absolutely useless at reading and writing and anything else. Um, Maxi Muscle got back to me and, like, claimed that they, they had, like, this sponsorship deal. But, like, I don't even remember at the time that was a company where you could always get, like, a 30% off, mm. uh, like, code from somewhere yes yeah, dollars. so there yeah exactly and their offer was like 30 percent off and i was like well that's not actually helpful at all and then there was another company called la fitness do you remember la fitness uh no so they came back to me and they were like yes we like we're so keen we're absolutely trying to branch out into other um sports at the moment we'd be really keen to get you on board we'll get you down to london to film like a promo video for yourself which we'll put on our website mm-hmm. you'll get like like 80 percent off all our products we we want you on board i was like wow amazing i'm gonna get a sponsor this is absolutely amazing so then i was like well i'll go on their website now and see what products they have and then I go for a few products and then I find these products on their website and it's like first line, big red letters. Like, if you are in an Olympic committee sport, you will not pass a drugs test if you take this. What a marketing strategy. <laughs> but then I was like, there's no way. Yeah. Like, if anyone at GB finds out that I'm taking, even if I didn't take those supplements, even with cross-contamination, like this stuff's being made in the same factory, it's like gutted. I was like, oh, the one company that's actually key. Yeah. But... Uh, we did later when I was in the team we ended up getting sponsored by um, Science and Sport we used to get it's like 500 quid every three months 500 quid order oh yeah oh yeah you couldn't you couldn't even use it fast enough. yeah I remember sort of being down at Molsey and you'd get the likes of like Mo Sabidi and James Vogt would come down and they've just they've got too much yeah. SIS just built up and they just just dump just huge piles of the stuff in the gym and then all of a sudden everyone would just swarm like vultures to get get some free SIS <laughs> But we were on everything back then. We were on some bizarre supplements. Should I even say this one? Probably not. Everything under the sun, though. Everything legal. So, oh, well, beta, a- beta aniline, because that's fine. Lots of people take that now. Yeah, I think beta aniline is meant to be a lactate buffer, to the best of my knowledge. Um, I, I briefly got on, um, so Maxi Muscle had this product called Colostrum. Oh, yeah. For a while. And. Uh, apparently i think the science behind it i might be wrong on this but from my research the fastest growing mammal in infancy is baby cows like in terms of like putting on lean muscle mass yeah so human growth hormones like obviously banned but maxi muscle had made this product that was sort of based around cow growth hormone Mm. instead and it was like it was they, they just called it colostrum it's like bovine colostrum yeah something like that and they'd made this product and i thought i am I'm getting on that. And I got huge <laughs> so quickly. It, it very quickly got banned. Is it banned now, Colostrum? Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's like some, no expert on sports nutrition, but I think quite a few sort of bodybuilders still use it. Um, but in terms of like, it, it wouldn't pass a drugs test oh, yeah. now. So I mean, there was a total, yeah, like you said, like we would, we would try every supplement we could, but like, like having like a, a false, you know, like a, having a positive without having actually intentionally taken anything was like a big worry. Yeah. So we've always, it was always from a company like Science and Sport or Maxi Muscle. And they, we used they, to get told someone that's batch tested only. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I, at the time, I remember absolutely swearing by supplements. I, I always would kind of think to myself, like, 
you know, you'd hear of some new supplement like creatine or beta alanine, yeah. and, and you think to yourself, this is the supplement that like, this is going to be the magic bullet that just yeah. propels me to be 15 seconds quicker in a single skull, or <laughs> I'm going to take this and I'm going to pull a 552 erg, for example. That's just not, that's just not how it works. Yeah. Like, you, you just focus on consistency and proper recovery, make sure you're always kind of pushing that progressive overload like make your training count first like you don't need to be boshing every supplement under the sun to be fair leander as well we were so well fed and looked after mm. in the club like if you're eating fantastic food you're you're going to be 95 percent of the way there so there'll be no need to dry scoop supplements years before everyone else started doing <laughs> pre-workout didn't exist back in my own yeah. now, and that wasn't a thing um, yeah, they were just just Satch and Al Sinclair would dry screw beat Alan and then sp <laughs> spend the entire weight session itching their face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we was the original. The, what was the one? We all, we all got on beetroot juice. Oh, we well. were talking about this the other day. Yeah, yeah. Like um, <laughs> the company was beat it this one, <laughs> and it tasted like liquid dirt. Yeah, the, we had these. So you had these like one liter jugs of beetroot juice. Yeah. And we just. We couldn't get it all down, or so luckily they released shots instead. So just a shot of concentrated beetroot juice, and we just bosh these down, and it it, it turns your piss purple. Mm. Oh, nice! So whenever we'd sort of you know we'd be doing like a you know two k erg test on a Saturday, for example, we're all boshing our beta alanine, and then we're in spoons that evening, and there's this you know these massive guys, all of the urinals just pissing like purple streams <laughs> out, and all the locals are thinking like bloody hell's wrong with this lot so, um yeah it was, oh, it was bizarre time. it was most our, like when it was if it was like if you'd had a lot and it was dark purple you remembered instantly but if you'd had just a shot or a swig mm. and then forgotten you'd done it an hour later you'll go and have a wee and it's like red it's more of like a red color and yeah. you, I, there was a couple of times i absolutely scared the crap out of myself <laughs> <laughs> oh, what the fuck yeah. man, i'm dying i'm dying like, the, first, uh -huh. the first time you do it as well you're like because you, you don't know it's going to turn your piss purple yeah what, why did we do it to ourselves? I remember, I just, remember we found out it was a lactate buffer and that was it. That yeah, was, yeah. That's the, that's, you know, to, to hell with like super serious, you know, making sure our training's as effective as possible. Like, let's just, let's just bosh a load of nitrous oxide for, in concentrated beetroot. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. I remember like a story of um, someone, I think another one of your Cambridge Blue fellow members, probably not from the same year, but uh, he just heard that obviously beetroot juice was the lactate buffer and like, he really wanted to use it to enhance his 2K performance that time and then just ended up chugging it all out. It was a horribly oh. gone wrong idea. Or like all over, all over the gym. Like I think in the I think potentially in the bucket, but it oh. was it was not pretty and it didn't work. Purple vomit. No, that's not gonna be nice. I was never really one for throwing up. It's like depends on the people and some people like after every tough air, mm. like Weber used to throw up quite a lot. There's a few people used to throw up more. I never used to get my stomach as much. I wasn't a puker. Unless I ate oh, wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. If you ate wrong, there, there were occasional times where you were just like, yeah. But I, I remember like one of the first times I came, I came down to Leander and I started doing the senior training program on it, uh, in the, in the preseason. And then I finished like a really hard bike and I just ended up lying on a, on a stretching mat for like 10 minutes, just properly almost passed out. I just remember JJ, Jonathan Jackson, who's now coach, coaches at Leander. He came up to me. He was like, are you alright? What's wrong with you? Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Different, different things happen to different people after, like, you go into total exhaustion. Like, Tom is notorious for flying what off. What do you mean the notorious? 
Why is that like because it happened twice? Basically, yeah. well, for, notorious for what? So we did well, last year. We were coaching. I, I wanted to have, watch my athletes do two Ks. So I was like, oh, I'll fancy it. I fancy one of these. So you was boshed out two K, Randy. Yeah, with zero training, like like literally. I know zero. this guy, right? This guy. <laughs> um, and I did. I, they had Model E machines, which are quite a bit higher. <clears throat> and obviously, I. I yeah, did, what did I pull? There's Finner up there. Six seventy? So. No, not the first one. Oh, the, the six twenty-eight. I pulled like a, yeah. I went under. I think that was the point. I was like, geez, could I still go under six thirty? So like pulled six twenty-eight. It absolutely ruined me to do it. Then like in very tired. Then pop- was your all-time best? Fifty-three. <whistles> Popped my cherry. Uh, Foot out yeah, of the strap. Put my foot out of the strap. Went to like put my foot on the floor as if I was on a D, but it was higher up. So then my foot just like flies underneath me, and I just <laughs> like launch myself off the off into outer space. Yeah, because uh, just having forgotten that I was on the higher up burger. I then that that I then yeah then having done that my head then starts going well how could could you get and I watched you did some training and then I like all of a sudden my brain's going again and I ended up mm. doing some sessions and I did I pulled like a six seventeen there what's what's for fun- no reason what's funny is after after people saw that how Tom fell off the ergo every single person oh, yeah. started doing that afterwards there stood there with some people who started thinking like oh, Should- I've seen the coach do it now so it's like how do I show how do I show that this was max effort? <laughs> Let me just. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've introduced that. I know what you mean, though. You sort of, it, it's a sport that's very difficult. I mean, I'm, I probably can't speak for everybody here, but I, having left Cambridge, I did try to sort of get back into it a little bit more socially. Mm-hmm. having gone back to Malsey. And it's really hard to take a conscious step back when you've done it to a high level, when you've made yeah. your entire life about maxing out this one thing. Yeah. And that's, I went back to Molsey and would sort of do half bike, go out on the water maybe two or three times a week. And you start negotiating with yourself really quickly. Mm. Oh, maybe if I just start doing five sessions a week and maybe I should just chuck in a, a weight session here, for example. You All of a sudden you start feeling like you have to gravitate back towards being super serious again yeah yeah I, it, I, i'm too old for that <laughs> yeah i do because obviously getting very close to winning the ladies plate like off of my head i'll be like oh you know if you were going to go back and win the ladies plate like wow you know the books would be the place to do it now and i live in oxford now and they, they mostly just were on the weekend so mm. no and i don't know you know Jeanette works on saturdays so i could definitely have saturdays free and i could probably come to sundays so i could do the and then all of a sudden you're like no, no, hang on, no, no. Am I planning my entire life around getting back in the Henley crew? Like, Stop it! <laughs> to break yourself out of it. Uh, There's more to life. Mm. But yeah, maybe one day. All right, let's talk a little bit about training camps because they're, they're always a source of uh, big fun. Concentrated pain, misery, and enjoyment. I, th- I think that's what, like, training camps, when I first started going on training camps in Poland, that's, like, really what solidified the fact that, like, I really want to do this rowing thing because this is super fun. And we get to go away for, like, two or three weeks and we get to row a lot and we get to eat a lot and then we get to compete at, at champs and everything. So I have a theory at Henley, and I, I would really like to see some data on this. The more tanned crew normally wins. <laughs> I, call me out if you think I'm wrong, but I, I, and I'm thinking to myself, like normally you, you get quicker on training camps, right? So normally when a, a club will get back from a training camp, everybody's just topped up their tan and they all look, they all look great. 
I, I think more tans crews normally go faster because, and it's probably, you know, it's a spurious relationship. It's not the tan in and of itself that's making them fast, but they've recently got back from a camp. No, no, it, yeah. it, it well, must be the time. It also itself. depends. I guess it depends how, <laughs> if you're allowed to row tops down or not on camp as well. That's, that's such a heated debate in rowing. I actually, I'm just looking up at that picture of you and three mates rowing top down. No, I mean, that, that's for a photo shoot. Oh, okay. For the calendar, for the naked calendar. But you're not naked. Were you not there? What? It was like tops down, not not fully naked. Okay. Anyway, I, I feel the viewers can't see this, so <laughs> um, <laughs> great I, chat for radio. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> available on Spotify as well. <laughs> we will. Um, I was actually never a big rowing top down enthusiast. I d I don't know why. I just for, for someone who takes tanning as seriously as me, I don't know why. I just was opposed to rowing top down. I was uh, one time on training camp in Banyolas when we come down for dinner and the, the Spanish woman who ran the place who doesn't speak a lot of English comes out Carmen. and it's like, Carmen, it's like, everyone, everyone, where is my oil? <laughs> who has my oil? <laughs> Turns out uh, Clive Kennedy Byrne and Al Sinclair have nicked the, uh, the, yeah. like, the olive oil off the table and are upstairs on the roof rubbing it in. <laughs> Clive Kennedy Byrne was just like the personification of Johnny Bravo. Just like <laughs> dousing himself with olive oil and getting up on the balcony. Cooking himself, like, literally. Yeah. You can get third degree burns doing that. Uh, so he had to he had to give her oil back. Um, so uh, the I, tops I, down I, debate. Yeah, no, I like, yeah, yeah, I like I this. Love, I, I love tops down. I, I'm, I'm all for it. Really? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the untraining camps, though, like on the, in Henley, like when there's like pub, general public and everything, no. Training camps. If you're rowing with a top up, you're not even on the real training camp. But you you sort out the tan lines off the water. Like you get, you know, training camp's about squeezing out every bit of speed you can. Like you're going to be racing in your lycra. You should train in your lycra. That, that's that's true. Yeah. I think I'm a little bit like, too antisocial to get my tan off. So much downtime to go and sunbathe and sort out sort out your lycra lines. Right? But the like the like it's not like cycling where where tan lines are like fostered heavily. Yeah, like unless you're such. Like the white vest look is hot. So is I not had a like good one. multiple different length cycling shorts. So I'd always come back from any cycling training camp and my fires would look like a Dulux color chart. <laughs> like it was ridiculous. <laughs> I've, I know some guys who did cycling quite a high level who would, would like whatever shorts it was, it would, they would get it in the exact same line and just create this like ridiculously oh, I, I good timeline. That so much. Uh, but we oh, we had so much fun on those Leander training camps. Yeah, I'm with you. I in the UK, I would I don't think it looks good to go tops down. Well, I I used to get like this weird tan where you know the three different layered walls ice cream. Mm. I would be because I would keep changing what yeah, kit yeah. I'm wearing. Yeah. <laughs> I just basically end up having three different tan layers. What's yeah. the word? Ne Neapolitan? Yeah, Neapolitan. They call it. Oh yeah. yeah but yeah. in Bagnolas, that was my last year in Bagnolas. My last year. One of my last years. Um. Before we went out, some of the guys were saying, "Oh, how much mileage classic rower like turn into a competition? Like, how much mileage do you think you can do tops down?" So, like from the first session, uh, everyone had it down, and then by the end of the camp, it was just me and Dave Lamborn. Shout out Dave Lamborn, who did an entire Vanellis camp tops down. Which, like, when you're coming up in the morning and it's quite cold still, and you're like pretty yeah, freezing, yeah. but I can see Dave's in the stroke seat, so it's like, well, if he's got a tops down, I'm yeah, and yours is a weird one because the sort of sun comes up from behind the mountains yeah, as well, it's so it's really, really cold in the morning, and then sort of ballpark around sort of nine, ten a.m., the sun would finally pop over the mountain, and suddenly it goes up like twenty-five degrees. It'd be hilarious though on like a when we go on the on the January camp, 
like all the locals were in like winter coats mm. and like hats and stuff and we're just wandering around in an all-in-one tops <laughs> down because we, it's like the best sun we've ever seen for months you're gonna, you're gonna be careful if you're gonna row on a training camp when it's like super hot in another one because you're gonna get some really bad burn lights i just remember seeing a photo of will Satcher, like i think in the vis and he was more, if you have your lycra down <laughs> yes like, but at least you're gonna burn evenly so then you know, you don't just have like this awful all-in-one outline, and that's exactly what he had. He was more red than a lobster. <laughs> it was, it was just so painful looking at that photo. <laughs> One time, I'm not the most experienced tanner. I put that down to put my recessive ginger genes, but I had quite bad lycra tan lines. You know, as you do, and I thought I'm going to try and like invert my tan lines. I've, I've got to like catch up by sorting out the, the white lycra tan lines all over my torso. So I put like SPF 50 all over my arms, but like bronzing oil all over the actual <laughs> like lycra tan lines on my torso and thought, perfect. Now I'm going to go sunbathe and the white parts are going to catch up. Didn't work. I had these horrendous lycra burn lines instead. Normally you just have like lycra white where you've been wearing your kit, but instead I just had this perfectly formed burnt section all over my body. I looked, I looked ridiculous. But yeah, my um, my mum's my ginger, so I just I don't tan at all. I, I try so hard to get a tan, but it's completely futile. I can't, I can't pull it off. <laughs> I've burned I burn way too much. So since we're talking about Banuelas, cheers. We've got a Spanish beer in. We've got some Estrella. Si. Cerveza. Other, other brands of beer are available. What's cheers in Spanish? Uh, so, let's just say salute. Bueno. <laughs> Is it? No. Bueno, bueno. <laughs> nice. My mum's ginger and I, I I inherited my dad's Microsoft Excel ability and my mum's tanning dunes. So, um, so I really feel like I drew both short straws. <laughs> I remember, to, to be fair, though, you can, I guess, genetics a little bit, but like Al Sinclair, like when he first came down from Inverness, was, was whiter than white. And then after two or three... Uh, Vanillas camps to like put some serious work in on the on the roof. <laughs> He's got to be the brownish Scottish guy I've ever seen. Yeah, Tannis. You should get on um because they have this um like I've heard of this sort of tanning accelerator called Ludicrously Black. Do you, do you know anything about that? Yeah, my wife uses it. Oh, okay. How does that does it work? <laughs> uh, <laughs> she doesn't. I wouldn't call her Ludicrously Black. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> refund. She's a big, re- big fan of the tan. Yeah, oh. yeah. But for context, I can I can see it in plain sight in the bathroom, and I I am tempted to steal some. Go like for it's, it. It's quite sunny outside at the minute, so yeah. If um, just just before I leave, I'll probably. Do. We should we should take some for Al because we're, we're just, going we're going after San Andreas for we'll next week. Cut. We'll recut from this angle. We'll recut back today in like five minutes, and he'll be ludicrously <laughs> black. <laughs> Me and, me and Al used to, um, we used to sneak off to um, somewhere to get sunbeds on the sly once upon a time. We called it, we'd just be in the living room sometimes and we'd just say, fancy a trip to the electric beach. And we'd just go treat ourselves to a six minute sunbed. What, in Henley? No, it wasn't in Henley. We had to go to Caversham. Oh, I never knew this. Yeah, you should come. It's great fun. Yeah. No, I just used my ludicrously black, uh, whatever that <laughs> yeah, is. That, that in and of itself green. doesn't make you more tanned. It accelerates the tan. So oh, yeah. You have to go on the bed. Don't, yeah. It yeah, goes on yeah. the tanning bed. Yeah. That's issue. Oh, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, you may as well just get paint. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember Ban, uh, the first time I went to Banyos in January, which is pretty cold. We'd finished a session. It's like 5 p.m. It was going, uh, it was getting dark. And it was my birthday. 
So you all chucked me in on the landing stage. Oh, is that when we wrapped you up in gaffer tape and hung you from the... No, that's a different ring. one. Oh, that's a different one. Just because Bagnoli's cam was always at the end of January. So I had about six, six or <laughs> seven, six or seven of my birthdays on, on cam. No, the first one you chucked me in and I, I went to swim back to the landing stage and then you pushed me off, chucked me in again. That sounds like something. And then the second time I started swimming, it was so cold that I could feel my, like, I was like, I can't really swim anymore. So it's kind of like, got myself to that. Then I think Satch tried to push me off again. And I was like, mate, no, like, I'm going to go down. Um, it was great fun in the summer, just going for a little swim off the landing stage. Oh, lovely, yeah. It was, what was it, the June 2008 camp, I think it was. I remember Wilco was swimming off the end of the landing stage at one point. And so I think Wilco was in the Grand 8 that year, and yeah. the ladies' play date was coming in. Yeah. And they were, they were coming in fast. Yeah. And he thought it'd be a good idea to just swim out sort of in front of the landing stage. And he decided he was going to catch the bows. So he sort of was swimming on his back and let the bows sort of come up on him. And he just grabbed the bow and sort of surfed. And like, ballsy move, because if that bow ball had hit him in the head, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, he'd be out cold. Oh, I remember it was like a noise. It was like a yeah, boom. And then like, flood. obviously then with a guy hanging off it, the boat starts decelerating. Everyone just likes like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was like, definitely some tension. Around. You don't do crap like that like a few weeks out from Henley. He could have easily put himself out. I mean, he's. Been, I thought you were going to tell the story when we were all swimming and then he went a little bit further out and everyone was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm having a shit. Don't come over here. <laughs> <laughs> Just did a crap in the lake. I remember, um, I think it was February trials. I think it was 2011 or something like that. 2011, 2012, whatever. And uh, February trials are at Dorney for some reason. And overnight, it was minus 12. So obviously, Dorney's like completely frozen over. Everybody still has to go to Dorney anyway, because they're not going to cancel it. So everyone's there lingering around, you know, waiting for GB trials to occur. It's still minus 10. And you don't need to be a chemistry expert to know that the lake isn't going to thaw out when it's minus 10 degrees. But they kept us around for hours and hours anyway. And Wilco's just getting progressively more pissed off with all this. So he walks out on the ice in the middle of Dorney Lake. He's like, look, it's not fucking breaking. We're not racing. Can we go home now? And all the coaches are like, get off, get off now. What are you doing? And finally, everybody sort of saw sense and thought, you know what? He's probably right. <laughs> let's, let's cancel the racing. <laughs> Come on. Remember, then there's a video from that bit as well where they smashed ice over my head. Yes. Remember that one? That's yeah, yeah, funny. yeah. I think it's on Facebook, isn't it? Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Have I seen it? Have you showed me a 50 times? Shall I post? I'll post it on the last straight count. Oh, it's pretty, yeah. For everyone to see. I think, it's quite funny. <laughs> I, think, I think the world deserves to see that. <laughs> that was a brilliant headbutt. Oh, smashing Good techers as well. That's not the first time I smashed <laughs> ice over my head. <laughs> Is that, that, that was the same camp, if I remember rightly, when about half the people who'd gone decided to just go out on this massive night out. On night night we talk camp. about this with? Zoe. Zoe, Zoe just recently yeah. talked about it. Yeah, go yeah. on. Uh, my, my sort of key takeaway from it, my, my favourite part was the following day. We're just, we're just out and about in this eight. So we're just doing like a 12k paddle and our rate's sort of fluttering anywhere between about 15 and 22 because our stroke man had gone out so hard the night before and the rest of us had stayed completely sober. Yeah, it was the other crew and our stroke man. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... The, it was the, the nickname that was getting shouted out. To this day, it's my 
favorite nickname I've heard used in this sport at any point. So the full backstory was there's a guy called Ray in our squad and he was racing the Y-Folds the following season. Sorry, the previous season. And they're racing, I think it was City of Oxford, something like that. So they get up loads off the start, crash into the booms, obviously down after that. Through the middle of the race, charge back through the other crew, crash into the booms again oh. and end up losing. So he hit the booms twice in one race. So our bowman had nicknamed him Basil Brush. <laughs> Do you know Basil Brush? No. Yeah, the, the little, the little uh, cartoon fox. It's like a TV from from a kid show. It's like a TV, like a puppet fox. And his 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 uh, little catchphrase was boom boom. Yeah. Oh, he, right. he, he like crap puns, and every time he'd do it, he'd say boom boom. <laughs> so so our bowman had nicknamed Ray Basil Brush, and whenever he'd say it, Ray would just. Flip he out. did like it. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously Ray's sort of fluttering around all over the place with the rates. And we've got uh, Davy Jones in the bow just saying, boom, boom, basil brush, every, like every few minutes. <laughs> oh, holy shit. It was a tense outing. But it's to this day my favourite ever rowing nickname. What what a great way. I like, yeah. um, let's just like talking about how things escalate. Like just one time during a video session, the camera wasn't working and Brian, our coach, was getting pissed off. And then Ray just kind of managed to like, flick a few buttons and get this camera to work. And, and then Brian just nonchalantly like turns around to Ray. Ray's like, oh, the grid Raymondo fixes it. And like from that catchphrase, like fast forward two months, there'll be someone like me and Dave like going, the grid Raymondo. <laughs> Just because Brian once said, like, oh, that's a good one, Ray. <laughs> I, one, I, I never actually saw this firsthand, but I'd heard th this story through Clive. You know how, you know my thoughts on single scholars, like they're a special kind of weird. Oh, yeah. My Absolutely. first ever sort of serious high-level single scholar that I have any sort of recollection of, Ian Lawson. Absolute nutter. Loved it. Absolute, absolute nutter. Like, so jacked. Like, monster. Yeah, absolute monster. But... A shining example of sing like you know when you spend too much time in a single skull and you get sort of cabin fever yeah and you your chat starts to go a little bit weird oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I know my, like you spend too much time in a single skull your chat gets weird like i don't know how to i don't no, no, it's, it's cabin fever because you're so away from the people that you have to kind of amuse yourself you have to be your own entertainer and then that yeah. just kind of doesn't you don't buy blood i mean to be fair it gets yeah. weird enough in a crew apparently like, clive that's true found ian so he just Clive walks into the gym in Leander one day and Ian's on one of the spin bikes and he's just practicing saying the great Raimondo to himself. But he's, <laughs> he's not completing any individual like great Raimondo. It's like if he doesn't get the G right, yeah. he'd restart it. So Clive's like in the in the edge and hide around the corner. Sort of, yeah, yeah. He can sort of see Ian around the corner and Ian's just going, the grip, the grip, the grip. The grit, the grit, he's, he's just not spinning the whole thing out because he's not happy of how he's yeah, pronouncing yeah. the G and the R. Yeah. Like, Ian, what are you doing? But that's good banter because he's basically trying to get it as good as possible to wind Ray up, up as much as he possibly can. <laughs> yeah, but you don't actively practice this stuff. <laughs> Single scholars do. Single scholars do. He was, I think I told this story, but he was the first, that, that, um, that trial weekend, I came to Leando. I obviously saw, uh, saw these two boys, I knew they said their name, saw these two boys, uh, uh, messing about on the computer but then that that night I went into the crew room and the first athlete I saw in the crew room for dinner was Ian Lawson he came in uh, to the crew room he'd ordered his food he butters six pieces of bread mm -hmm. sits down whole crew main turns up 
which at Leander is like at least what people would say two portions, two and a half of a normal person's portion. Yeah. It's this big like stew on rice, destroys it, white mops it up with six pieces of bread, destroys that. And then the next time the waitress comes in, he hands her the plate and says, I need some more. Can you fill that up again? And I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> he was, uh, he's, I loved him. Though. He had a, but he had like a load of catchphrases. Did he? Yeah. Um, it's a real season ender. Do you remember that one? Yeah. yeah like, oh, yeah. someone, like, same thing. Oh, God, someone yeah. wants, like, someone wants in the gym, trips over whilst carrying a weight, like, drops it and nearly, nearly hits their foot and goes, like, oh, that was nearly a season ender. Like, yeah. cue four weeks later. What a season ender. Like, <laughs> I remember when anybody needed to go for a, like, you know, when you've got sort of the nervous poos before, yeah. like, two Kirk test. Yeah, yeah. He'd come back saying, oh, that was a real porcelain cracker. <laughs> Jesus, Ian. Um, dirty old dog. Dirt, oh, dirty old dog. dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he had catchphrase after catchphrase, that man. you got to entertain yourself in a single skull. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah. That's it. It's mad cabin fever. Well, otherwise, what was what, just taking strokes and counting water drops? You know? Even in the yeah. crew, there's times when, like, there was that time on camp when a few of the lads had watched a film called, did we talk about this last time, Sexy Beast? Oh yeah, and uh, people yeah. end up quoting this film so much that you, you have to turn Dave opportunity down. You're going to have to turn this opportunity. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Dave has never watched the film. Yeah, yet can quote the entire thing from the amount of time we end up. Yeah, and then just yeah. random. Do you remember like random stuff just starts getting said, like cheese and meat. I mean, there was a period where Will Satch, like, you almost like form Tourette's from yourself. Like, all I can hear from the ladies' plate is Will Satch going, cheese, meat, cheese and meat. <laughs> and Clive Kennedy Byrne is loved to wind Will up. It's always like giving him a nudge, making him do something stupid. Well, I've got, I've actually got, I don't even know how to say this. Yeah, it's not that bad. I've got pretty hilarious uh, video somewhere filmed on some horrifically old Sony Ericsson. Um, phone of Clive Kenley Byrne chasing Will Satch around the men's changing rooms with the carpet cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> and he's chasing him, but he's chasing him into the shower, then they're running in the shower, and they're running out the shower, and then Will like slips and like hits the deck. I mean, well, and real he, season ender. Yeah. <laughs> and he was all right. I remember, I, I remember like quite recently seeing that video and thinking, imagine if he'd like done his leg or smacked his head back then and never yeah, never yeah. gone on to do anything like some stupid stuff that we used to do and you literally developed Tourette's though like I just remember going around the gym and it's like oh just even on the ergo just randomly like if you're doing like a 12k or like a half hour after squat and then you just get get one person going hiya and then everyone just trolls it <laughs> so you can't avoid that and you're not or gonna like ch chain whips things yeah. like that oh yeah I was never a fan of chain whips no? Yeah. I mean, okay, so you two are the experts, right? This is literally your job, so like yeah. you know this stuff. So let, let's settle this debate right now. Is whipping the chain like midway through an egg, is that bad for the egg? So yeah. Tom, to, Tom's no. got a story to, to, to answer that question. Yeah, so I always thought it just knackers the flywheel. Nah. No? Nah. Okay, well, nah. whip, whip to your heart's content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we was, I was at Leander, I think it was maybe a year after I'd quit. Uh, and I was because I was coaching down there, but so I was in the gym, um, but I wasn't training. But the boys were doing a half hour, and they it was a tough one. They were trying to g each other up, and there's a bit of chain whipping. And Beachy goes like, "I don't want to see any more chain whips. If I see another chain whip again, you're going to pay to repair it." And I just went, "Boys, if you break a chain on a whip, 
I'll fix it for free. Crack on. <laughs> <laughs> Properly pissed Beachy on. And then they're all like, <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing that sucks about a dynamic, no chain whip. Oh, yeah, oh, it's just yeah. a little flappy. Yeah. He needs like a squeezy horn or something. That, that, is a, that is a good point. No, no chain whip on a dynamic because he's just going to slip or hit no the one, front of the. No one likes dynamics. Oh, I actually, I actually really enjoyed training on them. them. No, they were, like, they were, they were yeah, good. You'd always be like 15 splits slower. Well, no, that, I used to get better that splits. Erg? That's, that's, that's you. Okay. I used to no, get better right. scores on the dynamic than I used to get on the static air because I could just get the legs on. I would practice keeping my arms straight and everything. Like, it takes time. Yeah, yeah. It's, so I, so how do you, like, what does break ergs? Like, cause I remember like, you know, back in, back in our glory days when we do a 30 rate 20 and you'd think, okay, as smaller athletes are obviously trying to get the length. So whenever the coaches weren't looking, we'd start like drawing up, like up over our heads. Um, <laughs> that's not going to break it. No, that's not going to break it either. It's just like, it like, for the most part of the chain, just think about like a bike chain. It's just wear and tear, just miles. Like okay. t- over time. It's, met, it's a metal cog on a metal chain. Over time, it'll just wear. I mean, sometimes we go to rowing clubs and then the monitor will just be cracked in a very weird way where the, the side of it has got like chain chain marks on it. So someone's, handle. yeah, dropping, yeah. <laughs> dropping the handle like from here. It just fucking smacks into the monitor. <laughs> yeah. The most likely ways by using it, you're going to damage it is uh, twisting the shit out of the chain because you find it funny. Mm. Dropping the handle. Twist chains. That's just Kids dumb. do it. Dropping the handle and it smashes into the screen. Or, or like standing on the rail or sitting on the seat, not how like you know, like you sit on a seat sideways if you're like want to like talk to someone, like you start bed yeah. in the seat, like or, in general, or pouring squash into the flywheel. Oh yeah, erging, so it sprays them oh, with no, sticky water. That's actually quite funny. It is funny. <laughs> I'm gonna do that. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> not for the guys that then have to clean it out because then you've coated the entire inside of this oh, fan that sucks shit. air in sticky water mm. and then it spends a year picking up the fucking dust from it. <laughs> so don't do it because we have to clean up after you and start charging more. What are we going to call this episode? Like just erg care tips? Like, Yeah, we should put this probably not that interesting for, for that we can move on. What was I going to say? Something else about <laughs> yeah. uh, the fixing the ergs. Oh, the dynamic. Bullet point this. So di- dynamic, yeah. So I, uh, just before my back went really badly in like 2010... No, I think I think probably a bit later than that. I can't remember. But before I started using the dynamic full time, which would be more like two thousand twelve. But yeah, so maybe like ten, eleven, I broke nine K on a regular erg. Woo. Then my back went, then I went on the dynamic, and I think it took me like another two years to get back to nine K. Mm. So like it was a real fucking it definitely made me better at rowing though. Because the difference being you cannot on a regular erg you can just lean on it at the back. Yeah, you can just lean your weight on it, especially as me as a big guy. Long stroke, lean on it. Yeah, and you just yeah. the dynamic doesn't let you do that. You have to connect early. Dynamics all about the yeah the core and the connection at the front. Though. Okay, okay. I mean, you know, I'm a relative midget in the rowing world. So yeah, okay. I, I just, I just, I gave up on thirty rate twenties. We're yeah. almost, we're almost the same height. So I understand the struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have a, I have a big advantage at rate twenty. Being, being this tall. Yeah. Whenever I do 30 rate 20s, I just rate 24 when no one's looking. But I remember like our first year at Leanna, I remember we, we did quite a few together. I remember like taking chunks out of each other, trying to go like under 45, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what was my all time, all time was 41.8, which is all right for a minute. That's very good. Yeah. Sub 42, yeah. Yeah. I did. I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy I went 9K on a regular and on a dynamic. I don't think there's many people that have gone 9K on a dynamic. Mm. But, but being honest, that like 9k on a dynamic is when 
five out of six of the averages are like 21, 21, 21, 21, 21, 21, 20, average 20. Yeah, we've all played that game. Yeah. Like, we're, every, everybody knows all the tricks of, like, getting it down. On the, on the under yeah. concept updates their firmware and how they, how they interpret the average rate on the monitors. Oh, right. Everyone's screwed. You ever get, like, if you pull, like, a score, like, if the finished score says, like, six dead, and you're just like, please, please, on the memory, let it yeah. change. Because it would generally be, like, point one less yeah, yeah. the average on the memory. Yeah, that, that actually saved me. In the gym the other day, we, we had, like, a skier challenge. And then Tom obviously rocks up. A skier challenge? Yeah, yeah. So you had to base, you had to basically go 30 minutes, 30 seconds, just rag the hell out of it. And then I was like, oh, I'm eyeing this up. And Tom's like, all right, let me have a go. And then just obviously puts down the monster score. Like, just got... You seen the video of Eddie Hall doing the 100 meter skier? <laughs> no, but then you know whipping right? the thing in up, like 500 kilo deadlift, like former world's strongest man. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I would not want to see him do that. Too he fair, he but basically that's... just jumps and then just lets his body weight just pull the handles down, and he he's ripping out like 103 splits on the skier. Oh, oh that is disgusting. I'm, I've yeah. never gone below 116 on that. So anyway, so I I end up doing the skier challenge, and then I get one meter less, and I'm really pissed off. Then the, the night before the challenge is over, I come back, I do it again. I just literally just put my headphones on, get on it, start it. Got one meter less again. But then I go into the memory screen. I'm, I'm thinking like, maybe, maybe there is a chance. And then I got one meter extra. So thank you, concept. <laughs> what was the what was the other challenge we did when we went in and obviously smashed it? It was 200 meters 200 meter. on 10 resistance. Oh yeah, that's pretty brutal on the back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, oh, do you want to... <laughs> Weird, I, because I've done it once, haven't I? And I completely messed it up. And then, so we're going back to the gym, and I was like, "Now nah, I want to put a good score down." So we like went into the gym. It's like ten o'clock in the morning, so there's not many people around. We like took the ergo and moved it into a different place, um, so it'd, like burn more space around or whatever. And like, and like it's just like normal, you know. It's like ten o'clock in a public gym. There's like a, it's like a middle-aged woman. There's a couple of guys doing a bit of cardio. <laughs> And then I'm sat on the air and like Pete's cheering me up. He's like, come on, let's get it, let's get it. What would Jürgen do right now? Jürgen's watching, let's have it. And then <laughs> I can watch it. Something, I don't know, something like that. To get, to get me all G'd up. So I get all fired up and I, I, I go for it. Like something, I'll pull, pull like a 111 score, average. Score that I'm happy with. 111 average. So that we both, we both like stand up. We're like, yeah, yeah. Like massive like high five and everything. Everyone else in the gym is like, Going on here, <laughs> they must have lost their mind or something. Yeah. Oh no, that was good. And it, the, the hardest part about those challenges is someone has to stand stand on the back end of the ergo because if you apply enough legs at the finish, you're going to lift the back end, the front end of it. I don't. I mean, I don't. My max splits were nowhere near big enough to have that problem. So I wonder. I, I didn't have to worry about it. I wonder if anyone on the podcast has got a bigger one split max than me because I got a one hundred and five when we fixed it. OUBC Dynamics in twenty twenty one. Maybe that could become like a recurring feature of the podcast. Like you just get get an erg in here, like a ski erg in here, and you get like because you know how on Top Gear they have the um yeah yeah, yeah, yeah like restarted price. Yeah, it could be it could be like a rogue gear. You know what? This is hilarious that you bring this up because when I actually thought about like starting this podcast like a few years ago, like that was one of the things I wanted to have like a sort of like a Top Gear challenge where everyone like comes and does like a, a five hundred meter. But then I was like, hmm, maybe not. I mean, I've yeah. people people often coming. Like, yeah, I'd love to talk about Roma. I'm not bloody getting on a Roma machine. No, <laughs> no, but that would be funny. So yeah, if anyone's listening, if you've got a bigger one. One rep max split than me, 105. Please, yeah. photos are a different. I mean, you, you live yeah. on a sort of fairly circular estate, and we all drive here, so you know, <laughs> you could 
We could just make like a little Strava segment for this road. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we going to not endorse this behavior. So what we're going to do, we're going to put wheels attached to the indoor rower. So put the erg on the wheels and just try and do like yeah. laps around the estate. But in the, in the ergo, there were the wheels on. When I, um, I moved just outside of Henley to Sonning Common, which is, uh, there was a route from where I worked in Henley to back. There was like a sort of an off-road gravel route. It was like two miles long. And it was a it was a Strava section, and I was riding it every day, getting faster and faster. It was quite good fun because it's like dirt and gravel, skidding around and stuff. And uh, this guy had like a, a decent score in it, and I was just like start like got obsessed. I like, worked harder and harder and harder to the point that I would like finish work, go and like do like a little ten minute like chill warm up, and then like arrive at the start of this thing like warmed up, stretch, ready to go, blast it, put this time in finally get king of the mountain on this on this section it's like yes like i've got it like smashed it amazing and then learned that you could go into the, the other guy's ride and look at what he did like the total ride this is this is this is very serious <laughs> do you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean yeah you can yeah. see the whole whole activity yeah so then i go in on the ride like oh well i've beaten this guy now like let's have a look at his ride he did it as part of like a two and a half hour ride <laughs> like he was just like chilling yeah, meanwhile yeah. i've just like attacked this thing like some like classic rower mentality. Yeah, like any any Strava segment. So there's, there's so much um, in in the cycling community. We we refer to it as environmental doping. So any <laughs> any significant Strava segment is gonna have been got um, in like a raging tailwind. Yeah, for yeah. Example like um, there's a there's a route between um, Saint Ives and Cambridge. It's called the Saint Ives Cambridge Busway, and it's just a sort of seventeen kilometer pan flat path that just goes along this old bus route and it got so heated that the Strava rankings for this were really competitive and because I was cycling into Cambridge quite regularly and my mum lived in St. Ives I wanted this KOM yeah. so much so KOM? Uh, King of the Mountains All right, so the, yeah. the fastest person ever to do on Strava yeah yeah and I take this really really seriously and one day I just thought you know I'm just going to go for it I was doing time trial cycling at the time so I rocked up like full TT bike, disc wheel, deep brim front, like aero helmet, full skin suit. All like, the gear. Like, all, all the gear. And there's all these like, you know, people using this path, like walking their dogs and stuff like that. And I'm whizzing past him at like 60k an hour on my bike, blasting up and down as fast as I can. And I get this KOM and I'm so happy because I, I knocked up the guy who did have the KOM was just like, he's now a world tour pro. So I took him off the KOM. I was like, this is... This is my finest hour in sport, <laughs> nice. but like bar none. Um, and then about two years later, I get the, the dreaded email from Strava. You know, you get this email from Strava and it says, uh-oh, and you, so, you know you know someone's going to stole your KOM. And whenever I get one of those emails, I think to myself, oh, God, don't be the busway, don't be the busway. Someone had taken that. It was like Storm Beatrice or something like that. So there's a 70k an hour tailwind no. along this route. And some guy had just gone out and thought, you know what? I'm going to go get that KOM. And he stole my KOM with the, such a serious case of environmental doping. And, and that's just how Strava works. Oh. So any, any big KOM, you just you need a ripping tailwind. <laughs> that's called playing the game smart, like using all the environments. Like, yeah. Like yeah. So yeah, next time there's a storm that's blowing like a, you know, an easterly wind, I'm just, I'm going to get back. Wherever you are. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. I really, I'd like to do more cycling. I would like to have a better quality bike, but now living in Oxford, like even with the 
bike I have, just like the thought of leaving it anywhere mm. without visibly being able to see it is like it's going to disappear. I love the trick yeah. that you did for like making your bike unattractive to any thieves. It's just basically badly spray painted pink and write stolen on it. Yeah. So the bike, yeah, my, the, cause I've had already been in Oxford, what, I've been in Oxford five years. I've already had a few bikes nicked. My wife's had like eight bikes stolen. Oof. Uh, I had three stolen when I lived in Cambridge. Yeah, it's ridiculous oh, shit. It's unbelievable. So I just uh, bought, I uh, started with like a 150 quid basic bike from Wig or whatever, and then get it home and then just get every random color of paint I can and make it look as shit as possible. Put tape all over the seat, even though it doesn't need to be taped. Yeah. And then I will write, this bike is stolen all my, over it. My strategy was always just to put, like, I didn't have a particularly good bike, but the strategy was always put it next to a better bike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, just hope theirs get stolen instead. The thing is, if you want it, if you want it to not get stolen, because the worst thing about it is, like, I've had a bike, like a five hundred quid bike, nicked, and the worst thing about it is, I know that's just got sold for twenty quid to someone else mm. in the street, and you're like, so it's not even about making it. You need to make it look like it's not even worth twenty quid, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's not worth having a nice bike. But that's the other thing that annoys me. When I first met my wife, literally our first date, she was yeah, like, oh, beans. <laughs> no, no, we went to McDonald's. Shut up. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so You're just the, the first day king you are. <laughs> well, she married me, so <laughs> we, um, so wait, wait, pasta and beans leads to a seven year relationship and McDonald's leads to a marriage. Yeah. Here I am, like, planning for most elaborate dates <laughs> ever on him, and I'm still single at 36, and you're just cracking out pasta and beans and getting, like, all the luck in the world. <laughs> like, this is a. The system's broken. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we went on, on that first day. She said to me, oh, my bike got stolen last week. And I was like, oh, that's gutted. Like, oh, how many of you? And at that point, she'd had like five bikes stolen. She was like, yeah, I'm really pissed off. It was a good one. I'm stolen. It's all right, though, because uh, yesterday I bought a bike off a guy for a tenner. And I was like, you're the problem. <laughs> like, you've got to stop. You can't be buying yeah. bikes off random people no. for 10 quid. That's why they steal bikes. <laughs> But yeah, first date. So we went, uh, it was a bank holiday Monday. And we went for a dog walk in Oxford. Because mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's pretty chill. I'll just go for a dog walk. Yeah. 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 And we finished a dog walk about sort of 6 p.m. What, what it, year was this? 15. 2015. Okay, so like like way, way pre-COVID. Yeah, well, yeah, none of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it had been going quite well. So we thought, oh, should we should we go and get like a coffee? I think we said we should go and get a coffee somewhere. So then we drove into Oxford, yeah. like went into Oxford. McLarty. But it's bank, holiday, it's bank holiday Monday and it's 6 p.m. So everywhere's shut mm. apart from McDonald's. And I was like, oh, we can't. I was like, we can't. You started this out well. I think I said, I was like, obviously, yeah, we can't go there. Yeah. And she was like, why not? Yeah, split a, split, split a fillet of fish. She was like, why not? Let's go. Let's go. And then we went in there and then I was like, well, I'm sort of quite hungry. And she was like, yeah, go wherever you want. So I was like, well, all right, I'll get, I'll get a Big Mac. Uh, so I got a Big Mac meal and she got some salad, ate half my Big Mac. Uh, and I was like, good, oh. like, fair play. Like, all right, good girl. Um, Get your own Big Mac. So, so it worked quite well. Randomly also sat next to what was clearly a drug dealer. Okay. How, how did you know that? So we sat on the on the table. The romantic first day. Yeah, it's pretty weird, isn't it? Yeah. We sat on the table on the sort of the, um, the you know, like the high table stool bars on the window. Mm-hmm. And we're sat sort of talking. And there's a guy sat next to us. He's like, looks like bit of a geezer he's got a brown paper bag on the floor he's not eating any food he's just looking at his phone and every five minutes his phone rings and he goes yeah how many yeah all right 
puts the phone down, and then this little kid walks in, and he reaches down into his bag, gives the kid something, the kid gives him some money, and then the kid walks out and gives it to a client. The kid? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, that could be drugs, but that could also be Happy Meal toys. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, don't always assume. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's because it was children, I think it's safe to assume that those were Happy Meal toys. I don't mean literally yeah. kids, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean like teenagers. Like, they're just like five, like, Beyblade accessories. Yeah, no, this and is just like, for... the spinners into their bathtub at home. <laughs> this is just for YouTube censorship. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it was definitely Happy Meal toys. Could have been Happy, Meal toys. Happy Meal toys. I didn't know. I couldn't prove it. Yeah. But then I was like, this is pretty weird. I don't want to sit next to this guy anymore. So we left. But yeah, and I ended up marrying her. So I don't know. I just got lucky. Maybe, Dave, maybe you should try Taco Bell. Maybe. Maybe. No, that, that's it. Like my, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe my next first day, I'll just go pasta and beans straight away. I, just, 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 <laughs> just, I, did I ever make hands. it for you? Probably at some point. Because if you haven't eaten it, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't comment. It's, yeah, del- it's, it's delicious. All you got to do is, yeah, I, mean, just, I, I like pasta and I like beans. And so. you like cheese. Yeah, like they go together like you know, go. Chinese food and ice cream. It's basically. <laughs> Have you ever had that? No, I'm I'm quoting um Talladega Nights. <laughs> All right, are you yeah. guys? I heard you guys are really good at quoting the Step Brothers film. Step Brothers, no. Talladega, anything with Will Will Ferrell in. I, I saw a um like one of those like internet meme fake tweet things. I I don't know what they're called, but um yeah, it, one of them was just saying, "Hey, remember like before Facebook, guys just used to sit around and quote Anchorman." I think you said it to me, didn't you? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I said <laughs> yeah, it. To yeah. you. Like you, whatever. Yeah, you spring to mind. So the other day we had we had Tim Foster on, and he was talking about the Sydney Olympics, and he was saying in the he's saying things that because he was sort of saying in '92 and '96 it wasn't really that professional. People were still sort of some people were on the sofa bed even at the Olympics, you know. And he said 2000, it's got more serious. We we each had our own room. But the rooms were really small mm. and there were two beds in each room, but there was literally only space for two beds. And me and James had worked out that you could make the beds into bunk beds. So we decided to make our beds into bunk beds so that we had no. more room. And I, at the time, thinking this is hilarious. Then we then get a message from a, from a girl we know, the captain at uh, Kingston Rowing Club. Yeah, Sally, shout out. Sally. And Sally's like, uh, did you just notice that Tim gave you the plot of Step Brothers there? <laughs> She, she was like, he must have definitely been winding you up. And then yeah. I was James like, is there, like, doing a step class in the open space. Like, it's like, hey, I've been meaning to ask, do you like guacamole? And then, like, the whole thing just comes crashing down. <laughs> There's so much room for activity. Said to Sully, like, number one, at the time, I did think this is no, hilarious. No power tools, Brennan. <laughs> oh, that's just my toothbrush. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I just oh, thought... I'll now anyway. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I thought... Uh, I thought this is hilarious because he used to talk about step brothers. But then also, if does if he you know he does he see no, 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 no. Oh. Because then I also thought if you've ever been on any shitty sort of like hostel training camp, you also know those beds that are made. They've got like a little pin in the bottom. Like there are like yeah. You must have been. To, like, yeah, I yeah. think that's half of the joke, isn't it? That if you've ever been to a crappy hostel or some cheap accommodation with school or on a school trip or yeah, a road uh, camp, uh, Hazelwinkle. Yeah, Hazelwinkle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where the beds literally just slot together, yeah. and like you'd you'd realistically make it like triple story. If the ceiling was a little bit higher. Like, yeah. That's so much extra floor space <laughs> for activities. Yeah, just move the beds outside and have like the Megatron just just <laughs> <going> up front. <laughs> Like uh, the that was that back in oh eight oh nine going out the the fan favorite was a was a four man base human pyramid yeah 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 at two in the morning that's just a staple of our own community though I see because we're about stage where basically everyone's getting married except me and <laughs> there's so many like four man base photos I see happening at weddings did you go to you had a Cambridge crew reunion 
at one of your boys' weddings? Uh, that is in September. Uh, yeah, that's in September. Oh, okay. That's that Nathan, the Polish, uh, the Polish yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So off to off to Tuscany for a little bit. But oh, nice. yeah, I mean, you know, maybe we'll push it out. Go for five man base. Are you going? Are you going to Webby's wedding? Yes. Good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A bit, inc- a bit uh, inconsiderate that it's on uh, qualifiers of Henley Borregata. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's that weekend. Better pre-qualify then. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So I get that weekend, and then I'll come. We'll come back. I'll come back and do Henley. Uh, that's gonna. That's gonna be a fun wedding. Oh, I'm absolutely yeah, like, getting to that. Yeah. Four days in Greece. Why is it in Greece? Why not? Why not? I can't really complain. I got married. Yeah, I've never been there a long time. He's he's always been very steadfast in his desire for a location wedding. So. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he was driving that one. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember when we lived in his big binder of uh, of everything he was going to do at his wedding. Yeah, yeah. He, lo- he loved scrapbooking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think uh, no offense to Webby, but he is a he's a he's a acquired taste at times. I think I remember I was back at my parents the other day, and I said to my dad, "Oh, Webby's getting married." Uh, over in my mum's cupboard, was like, "Wow, he's found a girl." You can deal with him. Yeah, and but they're very happy together. Like, of course, he's a legend. It's really sweet to see. Oh, that's awesome. I'm well yeah. happy for him. I'd yeah. love to get him on here as well. I, like, he's pretty busy now. Well, we're organising the Thames Cup reunion at some point, so it's probably going to happen. Well, should we... Uh, who do we have to talk to to do a robot? We could do a robot. How long has it been? How long will it have been in 2024? 2023 was... Mate, don't... You could do basic subtraction. No, you are my calculator. Yeah, do you remember? I'm aware of that, but like... <laughs> it's... it's it's subtraction. In okay, what's twenty twenty four minus two thousand eight? Uh, twelve. Sixteen. 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 Yeah. So years. that famous sixteen year anniversary. Oh uh, yeah, that's not a great yeah, it's, one. It's two to the power four, so that'll do. It's not a great one. Uh, we might have to wait a few more, four more, year, five more years then from now. Twenty year reunion, Friday lunchtime row past. Yeah. Yeah. You don't fancy it? No, no. I, I, I would be up for that. I'll be up for that. Like, um, so what, what are we all going to be in? How old will we be then? As long as we don't do what that Harvard crew did. Did you see that? No. So you had one of the, I think it was a quarterfinal of the Goblets or something like that. And there's this Harvard veterans crew doing a row pass. I think there's a video of it on like uni rowing or something like that. Go check it out. But um, one of these veterans, they literally just, um, they, they were sort of at the crossing point and they just, lost their bearings and started rowing up the course into oh, the no. path of um, Wingo and um, Tom George's pair. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had to stop that race and restart it um, sort of midway up the course. They restarted the race at the barrier. They really smoothly edited it out in all the footage, but there's unofficial footage of it around. Yeah, go check it out. It's good. Oh, that's crazy. You want to like it. If you've got a really old crew, you want to make sure you don't you don't use a different cox. You don't want a senile cox just forgetting forgetting the pattern and ro- rowing onto the... Chrissy's very sharp. She'll still be with it. Are you guys going to do the fake 10? I f- absolutely. Yeah? Full race yeah. plan. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, we're going to go to training camp for this row past. Oh, Bagnolo, one yeah. more time. Yeah. Bagnolo. Bagnolo. <laughs> I just that, went to... not how you call it? Yeah, I went to Barcelona for the first time. I actually went into Barcelona, so I've flown in there like about twelve times mm. for training camp, but never actually seen Banyolas. Uh, never seen Barcelona, so I went with the missus, and we actually went to see some culture, and then we went to a music festival, which was quite fun. But yeah, yeah. But I'd like to take it to Banyolas. Like I've spent, I think I worked out, I've spent about four months of my life there, at least four or five months. I think I've been to Banyolas six times now. Oh, I think I was like, ele- I think eleven. 
11 times. Mm. So how do you compare being in Banuelos with Cambridge as opposed to Leander? Um, Obviously, very, very different timelines. Yeah, so we went there twice with Cambridge. And it was always a... So with, with Leander, we'd sort of go there in January and then again in June. With Cambridge, we'd just go there in January. It was always such such a well-timed camp because the Ely in the depths of winter is just absolutely horrendous. Um, so these Cambridge camps, I think the first one we did, I think we were out there for like 12 days. It was a really, really long camp and quite a bit of selection happens on it as well. Mm-hmm. But no, it's, it's an exciting one because normally what happens when you go to Cambridge, you get down there, everybody's in eights for a little while. And then you get into fours and you start sort of getting a rank order of people quite quickly. They take force head very seriously there. And as soon as force head is done, yeah. then all of a sudden you're in preparation for trial eights. So you're in match dates all mm. the time. So camp is actually the first time you actually get into rank eights. They're very particular to call them the A and B boats rather than Blue Boat and Goldie at the time. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's, it's still a fairly exciting time with Cambridge because the crews are starting to form there. Whereas when I'd go with Leander, this was sort of right at the beginning of my career where we talked about this on the last, last podcast. When I was at Leander, I was just a, just a bit of a sort of inexperienced muppet. I didn't really know how to manage training camps. So I just turned up every day, was very stubborn about never wearing my leggings, would always sort of get, you know, little injuries and just hide them. It was very different. Mm-hmm. It was very different, but... It was a mileage camp as well at Leander, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the best things about January camps is... It just, it breaks up for winter for a bit. Yeah. I mean, for our, like, at Leander, because well, in Leander we were on the river, so we have four, or whatever is it, three and a half K to row. So it's not too much of a problem going to Banyos in 2K camp, 2K lake. Whereas, yeah. like, when you're in the team and you spend your entire life at Cavisham, you do not want to go on camp and do a 2K lake. That's yeah. one, that's one thing I missed about like coming, like uh, about being in the UK from like being back in Poland. Like we'd go on training camps all the time there, whether they were national training camps or we'd have always a winter and a summer one, like Leander, I guess. But they just, it just felt like there was a bit more of them. And then some days training really could get a bit saving. It's really expensive. And uh, I guess maybe like it's cheaper over in Poland. Ely, so Ely, similar, similar to Leander, like it's, it's a river, like it, perhaps even better for training in fact. Ely basically just goes on forever. I think it's something like 35k wow. just go in one direction from the boathouse. So you could, in theory, have a 70, 70k out of one spin if you really wanted to. Wow. We didn't. Well, I mean, if you invite Henry Belhash with Brooks there, they <laughs> might do some paddle paddling and it's like, whoever, yeah. whoever gives up first. Yeah, like, you know, it's, they just keep going to the North Sea. Like, what, what, was, <laughs> what was that tape, that video they did again? A what? Uh, so... You, do you see, um, I can't remember what year it was released, but Take That did this uh, song called The Flood. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what? And it's um, Take That, a racing in this quadruple skull. I think, no, not. How many it was a fight. I think it was a fight. Yeah. yeah, what's that? Pentuple? Did they make yeah, a yeah. fight? Yeah, so they're racing in this pentuple skull and they lose the race, but, you know, they want to kind of come together as a team. So they, they keep, they just keep rowing and they just keep going to the North Sea. And I'm pretty sure you could probably do that at Ely if you wanted <laughs> yeah. to. I'm, my my geography is not that great, but. I remember actually that that take that video. Did you um, do some filming for it? I didn't do any filming for it. So I was preparing for USA in 2010. I was taking that really quite seriously. Yeah. And but it meant I missed all these really good filming opportunities. Not not only did a group of Leander guys get asked to go film for uh, the take that video, but 
That was also if you had the social network yeah. as well. I was gutted. I missed. I did the first, I did like one of the first day, first one or two days of social network when we had the two actors came down to teach them how to row. Mm. And then they said, uh, if you're going to sign up for the rest of it, you need to be available for like two whole weeks of filming after Henley. And I had under 23, so I like, couldn't do it. Yeah. But we were getting paid £300 a day. And uh, because you're like a, you're not just like a background actor, you become like yeah, it's part a specific of it. Skill. Yeah. So it's got, I think it's called like a skilled extra. Yeah. So £300 a day. And then the guys that did it did it for like 21 days of filming. So you can imagine how much they made in a yeah. time, like we said, where I was making. What's Which that, is? Dave? No, you're going to do it. <laughs> no Stop way. using me as your calculator. <laughs> no way I'm going to do that. Dave, uh, can I use you? No. What's, what? what's 21 times 300? Uh, do it's it like yourself. Six grand? Yeah. 6,300? 6, there you go. I think the best way is not to ask Dave to do the math, is to say something outrageously yeah. wrong until he can't like stop himself. Like, yeah, just, at the time... <laughs> Dave, what's, what's 300 times 21? Like 550. That's do a nice want... bulging forehead thing you've got going on. Yeah. <laughs> but I start like having an aneurysm. Do you watch American Office? No, I watched um, one episode of American Office and it was just a line, it was line for line identical to episode one of the British Office. Ah, okay. So I thought, well, this sucks. Yeah. Like, so I just didn't, didn't bother. You missed out big time. The first yeah, season is so. shit. The rest is so good. I love that when someone tells you about like an incredible, like, oh, if you watched so-and-so, like, nah, it's like, well, listen, it's like eight seasons long. The first two, utter shit. But when you get to three, amazing. Like, okay. what, I'm going to spend like 15 hours of my life watching crap. Can I not just skip to season three? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 you can't do that because you need yeah. the build-up. You need all the build-up. It's no, really don't, crap. I don't want you have build. to power through. I don't want the build-up. I want to dive straight in and waltz dealing meth everywhere. <laughs> like, I don't need any backstory <laughs> to this. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. So... Breaking Bad is the best one. Breaking Bad is my, it's my favorite ever show. But that's one where like I showed my wife the first episode and then the body comes through the bathtub and she's like, oh, this is too gross. I don't want to watch it. And that's exactly where I, my mum gave up as well. She said, no, 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 it's not for me. It's not for me. Like, mum, just persevere. But it's a great show. Yeah. In lockdown, I, she was like, oh, I'm bored. I've got nothing to do. I was like, haven't, have seriously, have another go at Breaking Bad. Mm. Gets through the first episode. Then spends literally the next three days watching. She, I think she completed the whole thing in like three days. Like she just didn't leave the sofa. Wow. Lockdown was a weird time. <laughs> so so bored. I'm glad I didn't have to train in lockdown. I wasn't still right. That sounds pretty brutal. Yeah, hearing the stories of like the, the build up to Tokyo with having to. People said they enjoyed earning in their kitchen on the road. Like I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything worse. Sometimes just for British athletes getting away from Caversham, we spend so much time there. Any any change of scenery yeah like anyway. that's why it's probably good that they don't build building with flats there at cover shop who were we talking to the other day about like what you do to like wind the time down on an ergo oh i think matt tarrant people were saying different things and i said i remember when webby told me for like a 16k i just count up to 50 and back down to zero <laughs> and i was like you are a murderer you there is something wrong with you how do you do that that's psychopathic yeah i i would always sort of break things down into like a sort of descending pyramids I think that was quite common. So like a 16K erg, for example, I'd sort of treat the first K as a warm-up and then, okay, 5K, then 4K, then 3K, then 2K, then 1K. It's like, it's so, it's so boring, but we just yeah. do it. We right? just create imaginary yeah. places like... Honestly, just make an absolute belter of a playlist. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the best way to get through anything. Right. But would you have it on shuffle or would you order it out exactly? Ugh. For UT2... I'd probably just go shuffle. Yeah. I like the variety. We used to, I used to play this little game with Molsey where um, we just stick a, a playlist on shuffle and we just played intros rounds. 
Like who could get you shout it out? Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. You, you like score points for that. Uh, I mean, we so I love your Spotify playlist. When I'm like a couple times the last yeah. four or five years, we're like really struggling and a bit bored of our own playlist. Pete will be like, "What do you want?" I'm like, "Dave Bev, can I have some bangers with that mash? Get it on." <laughs> yes. Well, that's a great playlist. Yeah. Over those, can I get some mash with these bangers? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I messed it up. I butchered it. I was sorry. But yeah, that playlist we we that, that was my that was my Erg playlist and my um. And my my weights playlist was called Donald Pump Maker uh, <laughs> Cambridge Wall again. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant! Yeah, good playlist is is essential. I heard a good game to play on an Ergo is to play the Danger Shuffle if you want. Well, that was back when you had an iPod and you Danger could. Shuffle. Yeah. Well, if you had an iPod, you could select your playlist or your albums or your artists, or you could just go to top and say Shuffle All. That was the danger Ooh. shuffle, and that meant like what? You had no idea what was coming up. I kind of like that though. Like I've got, I've got some, I've got some weird stuff in my um my Spotify um like just just my likes on yeah, like, yeah. unsorted stuff. Like there's a few like Disney film classics, for example. Yeah, but you, what if it like gets intertwined with Slipknot and Metallica? Yes, yeah, so if it bounces from Slipknot to but, Be but. Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast, like <laughs> I can deal with that. Yeah, you can, but the other okay. people in the gym are going to give you shit. Oh, to hell with them! <laughs> like the, the, if you give me the aux cord, like you, you embrace the randomness. I think I, the, the best thing about having a playlist for erging is that you can have both Slipknot, Metallica, and Taylor Swift on it <laughs> all in one. I always remember. I remember being in a, Lance Treadle was a big fan of rap music, and I remember being in Leander one time he's doing an ergo it's really loud it's like 50 cent or someone is like it's like blasting out i remember thinking to myself like could could that man like ever in his wildest dreams think that in the poshest rowing club in britain in the world in one of the potentially whitest places you could you could get to like he would i just think like obviously you could be like oh you know people all around play your music and he'd be like that's awesome but i was like i don't even think he'd believe it like if he went up to him it's like no, they're, they're smashing your music out in a rowing club in the UK. Mm. That would, I think like that would blow his mind. Like, I think we should tell him on. I think we should tell him that when we get him on the podcast. Yeah. 57. Yeah, if you're listening, yeah, come on. <laughs> I like him. He's a good businessman. He speaks a lot of sense now about, uh, he speaks a lot about like dealing with, I guess, like fame and success, which was great. He's just really been through it all. So he, I guess he had the experiences that he could draw the valuable lessons from. Mm. I like the quote he said his grandfather told him he said if it slithers like a snake and it hisses like a snake it's a snake do you need it to bite you in order to know that it's a snake yeah I like that I like that I'm, I'm no expert on 50 cents are you not I mean no are you no, are you more of a 50 pence kind of guy um no more of a 16,000 Vietnamese dong <laughs> <laughs> so what so go on give some Two 2K playlists or half hour playlists, like what were some of the top songs for you? Oh god. Um so my I think my all time sort of go to for two K ergs um was Bangarang by Scream Strips. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, like yeah. just time timeless like two K erg banger. So Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you I, not I, made I, like a, a rogue gear like erg playlist? We've we've got a few from them when both Tom and I were rowing, we just need to like pull ourselves together and just put it. Yeah, I need to put a channel on that, like, get it available. Yeah, so but people what, can do it. What we also like to do is one time we were servicing the eggs at Headington and like, I mean, 
there was a group of like maybe 20 or 30 girls on those ergs and they were just like all going like through like some ut2 slash ut1 and they had this incredible playlist and i remember i had to like shazam it and get it off them and sometimes when we like need some like good erging music they would definitely like use that heading to the playlist <laughs> sometimes it's just something different isn't it you can get really bored of your own music no, it's, like, it's good songs. It's yeah. the songs that I'll choose for myself, which but is like, also, that's what I do. Do you have songs that you would save? So like Eminem till I collapse. Like I won't listen to it any other time other than if I'm trying to like psych myself up for a 2K. Like I have to like not hear it anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise it just sort of becomes too diluted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or other songs that have been part of my 2K playlist for so long that when they now come on, get me like anxious and sweaty. just try and make like the, the ultimate like 2K playlist in the comments. Like just... Just put your like your favorite two K banger in. It's going to be so random for me. Like the further I got in my career, like the deeper yeah. I had to go to get a PB, the heavier the music. So okay. like initially, like something like you, yeah, you would be like like on like twenty two by Taylor Swift. <laughs> I don't mean yeah, I didn't mind a bit of Taylor Swift, but like by the end, it's like Slipknot and and Metallica, yeah, and it needed I needed something yeah. to like. I think I think that's a great idea though from Dave. So like if you if you have like an erging song or a two K song or anything that you like to listen to when you're working out, put it in the comments and we'll do like a massive rogue yeah. last show counts playlist. Yeah, yeah. Just just have like just just like like if you've got like an erg playlist, just put the link to it in the comments so we can see like what club is churning out the best bangers. Oh yeah, ultimate yeah, uh, yeah the ultimate erg playlist, the ultimate shuffle erg playlist. Because if you know everything's good in there, then you can shuffle it. Oh, like, yeah. Imagine if we get it so big. It becomes the danger shuffle itself. Should we but call it a danger shuffle? Well, it wouldn't be that danger if, like, if they were all bangers. It wouldn't be a danger. You you could shuffle it. And it yeah, but uh, so good. someone's gonna say, "Well, I love to listen to Shake It Off when I when I do a two K." Not putting anyone down who doesn't listen. To that. Yeah, this is our yeah. personal preference. Sh- shake it off. That's the best recovery strategy. So <laughs> <laughs> we should. Uh, yeah, we could have diff- we could have like heavy a pop. You could you could change you could have a few different ones. You just you just sling into the DMs with your ideas or just drop them down in the comments. Like yeah. TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, whatever. I'll find them and I'll put them through. Yeah, so. just 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 straight into Pete's DMs, everyone. <laughs> Last show counts, please. Not my not my personal ones. <laughs> I've got enough of those coming in. I think we might be shortly running out of stories. We're definitely not running out of stories. No, not no. with Dave. No, There's never. Always infinite stories. There's that? more stories. Oh, which, which, which one are you alluding to? Come on, just spit it out. Nat champs. Oh, what happened when, when Banksy subbed in for you? <laughs> <laughs> I want to set the record straight on that one. That, I, that, that wasn't that wasn't me having Banksy on my card. So, what was it Brit champs? Two no Nat champs as it's called back then. So I, I feel like. Because a lot of people viewing are probably a little bit sort of, you know, younger, might not remember ARA cards, as they used to be called. So before British rowing cards came along, where you actually had to submit a picture and it got hard printed onto the card, you used to have ARA cards instead. Yeah. And uh, ARA standing for? Amateur Rowing Association. Thank you. So they'd give you like a little bit of cardboard and this sticky pack, and you had to put a, a passport photo of yourself onto your ARA card, you seal it shut, and that's how you are, that's now how you identify yourself. How very trusting of them. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's IDing yourself. Like, you could just show your driving license instead. It would have the exact same effect. Yeah. Like, you, uh, there's, there's no real need for it. And a lot of people kind of recognized this and thought, well, I'm just going to take a piss. I'm just going to put a silly picture on my ARA card, and when I get asked for ID if I win any races, I'm just going to show them my driving license. That's smart. Yeah, because it was funny, yeah. Yeah. So it was like this 
ongoing running gag in the rowing community at the time that we would not just not just me pretty much everybody would just slap any old like ridiculous profile photo on their their ARA card I saw um a picture of uh, an email from a guy called Ian Desmond he was emailing the his, his squad that he managed Henley Rowing Club they just won some race and when you win a race you've got to go you've got to show your ARA card so he <laughs> Obviously, his athletes are taking the piss as well. He sends this email out saying, guys, look. Please put actual photos of yourself on your ARA cards. I had a real difficult time at race control um, the other day after Milo Regatta, trying to convince race control that us, uh, my eight consisted of Fidel Castro, Mr. Blobby, Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, just because like, everybody did it. Yeah. Like, everybody just took the piss with all this so. to start with it was only like a couple of like the sort of jokers like I remember Josh Davidson was first but then once you got like once Josh has gone yeah. to two regattas and handed his card in and no one gave a shit then everyone everyone else is like because he right. had Shep on yeah. his ARAD <laughs> if I remember right when he Shepard who was the head head under 23 coach yeah. Time, yeah so so uh, Brit Champs in 2008 I remember it was a sort of post-star Henley Regatta campaign uh, we're up there we're doing this under 23-4 and uh, I'm also doing the under 23 single, and we make the finals in both. Uh, and uh, I'm having a bit of trouble with my back at the time, so I sort of I I could happily skull, but I wasn't particularly keen on sweep because I wasn't very good at rotating. And still not. I mean, we also had done zero training in our four. We were not fit enough. It was it was not. Yeah. I think we we thought it was like oh, it's half a it's half a Henley winning eight. Like it'll be fine, and mm. it wasn't. It definitely wasn't. Yeah. So, so basically, I went up and I said, can I get a medical exemption from the four? And we put a sub in because I can't really rotate. My back hurts. Um, but then I tried. So so we did that. We put a sub in. and We uh, also knew that like you actually had a realistic chance of doing something in your single. Yeah. And this four was like, probably was yeah. going to break you. Yeah. 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 So I go to boat for the single. And one of the umpires pulls me aside. And he says, uh, Mr. Bell, what are you doing? You're, you're injured. You... You can't go and race. And I tried to explain to him, look, I I, I can skull, but I can't sweep. But we started having a little bit of a debate about it on the landing stage. And they bring out the sort of head umpire of all this. And he says, Mr. Bell, are you taking this regatta seriously? Yeah. Why? What are you What are you getting at? And he just shows me this picture of my ARA card. He's like, well, can you explain this then? And he shows me my picture of the ARA card, um, which at the time had a picture of Captain Pugwash on it. Captain Pugwash was like this childhood cartoon yeah. actor. He's like, you know, you just sailed the seven seas searching for booty. A chubby so, pirate, basically. Yeah, a chubby cartoon pirate. I, I don't know why. I just I just thought it'd be funny. Like, we were all doing it. So, obviously, I get DQ'd for that one. Um, but, you know, like, everybody does it. Like it, it, wasn't, it wasn't such a big deal at the time. Yeah, we've been to plenty of regattas where they'd... They weren't necessarily happy when they saw it didn't have your photo on, but as long as you turned up with your driver license, they didn't. They were like, yeah, you know, it was kind of like, away with it. like a little bit of a running gag. Yeah. Anyway, so, but the thing is, I mean, that in and of itself wasn't really such a problem. Fast forward um, to the following season, I had, I'd, I'd got in Banksy's bad books a little bit for a um, separate story. But <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, but Banksy wasn't a huge fan of me at the time. And he... There was this sort of running gag in the squad that 
I was like his like lost love child, for example. That like <laughs> I got like yeah, that that's like this this weird because we were both northern, we we're both a a little bit on the short side, you know. We're both look at this. There's a little a little hint of physical similarity there. Oh, not so. It's like, like like the absolute most tenuous link you could possibly do, but it's hilarious. <laughs> so we run with it. Yeah, we're we're both from we're both from the north. Yeah. So anyway, um, I don't I. I knew I knew I was in his bad books and I knew this gag was going on. I don't know what got into me. It was it was a stupid idea, but I thought it'd be really funny for some 2009 summer pot hunting. I thought I would put Banksy on my RA card. <laughs> <laughs> and I go to Peterborough Gatta that year and I do I win elite singles and elite doubles and elite quads. I've had like the best day. I'm like, yeah, you know, Big dog on campus, walking up. I'm going to go collect my pots, hand over this ARA card. Like, and the guy just goes like silent, like he's, he's pissed yeah. about this. So he takes this ARA card and he takes it to like the, the chairman of Fregatta to kind of report it. Chairman of Fregatta comes out. It's the same guy as Brit Champs of the oh, last no. year. Like, oh, no. So I, yeah, I got, um, I got DQ'd from that and they sent, they sent that card to British Rowing, oh sorry, Amateur Rowing Association yeah. at the time. And uh, yeah, I I don't know what sort of variance of the story they'll be off that, but I, I got a 300 pound fine. Really? Uh, yeah. From who? From British Rowing. Wow. They, they said like, um, yeah, Dave, you know, we've seen evidence of you sort of taking the mick with ARA cards. Everybody does it. Yeah, I feel like you're the scapegoat. Like they'd obviously, yeah. it's got to the point where they're doing it, they're getting pissed off, and and it's just you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and got the bottom. Yeah, I feel like somebody had to. They had to make an example yeah. of somebody, and they they chose to make an example of me. So they said, "Look, you're you're not racing again until you pay this three hundred pound fine." So I, I paid the fine and sort of you know cracked on and started taking it a little bit more seriously. But the story doesn't actually stop there. Because um, a, f- a few years later, I went for um, an- a night out with Al Sinclair and Henry Fieldman, yeah. and I, w- I won't kind of go into, I won't kind of go off on a tangent about what happened on that night out. But long story short, I end up staying at Henry's that night, and his mum's sort of quite thankful for me, sort of you know looking out for those guys on the night out. And I, she, you know, she's making us breakfast in the morning. We start chatting, and she says. I, I tell her my name's Dave, and she says, "Are you Dave, Dave Bell?" Yeah, Dave Bell, who we had to give the three hundred pound fine to for having the, the photos on the ARA cards. And yeah, it was it was her who'd given me this fine. She worked there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was sort of on the the team, but had decided to issue yeah. this fine. Um, we had a laugh about it. What did she say about it? Was it exactly that point? She said, "Oh, we just we needed to." Yeah, we didn't really like go into it yeah, in any yeah. meaningful depth. I mean, to be honest, like I was dicking around. Somebody had to sort of, you know, be the scapegoat for that one. Um, when you get caught out and you know you were messing about, it's like, okay, you know. Yeah, like, you, you know could... what? I, I messed around. Like, yeah. just give me the fine. Yeah, so we, we had a laugh about it. Um, and But like, to give some examples, so you had a picture of Banksy, which is obviously funny, but uh, Alistair Webb had the world's ugliest dog. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it's like this just this Chinese crested mongrel hairless dog with no teeth, one eye's like bulging out and its its tongue's <laughs> just like flopping out of its mouth. So like 
like in terms of you getting the fine yeah there's other people walking around with like the world's ugliest dog as their as their photo well we'd sort of taken the um we, we'd upset a fair few people of brit champs that year I, obviously i'd sort of been dicking around the era card everybody was over, like the whole squad was. oh yeah but yeah, what yeah. what i think really um maybe put the umpires sort of on a bit of an anti-leander warpath that year was the the open eights final because remember, they, we'd won pretty much every senior event uh, that yeah, day. Yeah. And I think it was Clive and James Orm had some gold medals from the Cox Four yeah. earlier that day. Oh, and then they, no. they go and win the eight by like 100 meters or something like that. And then they stand up as middle pair in this eight. Uh, whoever was at four just turns around. They shake hands. One of them bows and they put this medal over the other one's neck. And they, they try, they're they trying pres- to do this before any of the other crews have finished. Oh. <laughs> And it went, don't get me wrong, it was, it was funny to watch, but it pissed a lot of people off. <laughs> I will say this though, it's, um, yeah. from the outside, you look at that and you, and you think like, oh, the arrogance, like the arrogance of them, you know, it's ridiculous, like they're taking the piss. But what the pro, what you realize if you row at Leander long enough is enough people treat you, it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. If enough people treat you like you're an asshole and you don't care and, and they won't, you know, they won't look at you or they're pissed off at you. Or We used to, like, turn up at regattas. And I remember we went ahead of the Trent mm. one year. And the guy, the umpire that comes to check the, the foot stretchers yeah. breaks every foot stretcher. Just literally grabs the shoe and just bang, yeah. bang, like snap, like physically wow. snaps every foot stretcher, gets to the end of the boat and goes, you need new foot stretchers. And, like, if you get treated like that long enough, you will end up, playing the game and be like if you're going to treat me like I don't give a shit yeah. then I'm going to then what happens is you actually start turning around and acting like a bit of an asshole yeah. so I would say that's the, the other side of it that there's times you're like if yeah. everyone's going to sit here and like be a prick to us okay fine like what's what's the problem with the Leander athletes that much I, I mean okay I remember when I was first coming down to Leander when I first told my parents that I was going to kind of you know be relocating to Henley and joining this fairly, you know, high performance elite rowing center. They they were very worried that I'd just be training with a load of, you know, elitist mm. toffs who don't really accept me and I'm gonna kind of be excluded and all that. None of that materialized mm. at all. Like completely com- not not misguided because obviously it was well meaning, but none of that happened. But like I can see why the outside world might have a little bit of a thing mm. against elite level rowers. But Leander specifically, like, is it? I think you're right. It's a self fulfilling prophecy because if you treat Leander athletes badly, they're going to start acting, doing dickish stuff. That's where I can see, like, the theory being that, um, uh, you know, for example, when Leander got banned from the club level of events, this was saying that the problem with Leander is it's such a great setup. It has it has such a sort of a history and it attracts such great athletes that, unfortunately. They can take club. They can take athletes from from nowhere to above club level in a year. So technically, because they haven't raced at a higher level, they are eligible for club level events, but they are above the standard of club level events. Mm. Which I can okay, I can kind of see that side of the argument. And they, they really didn't help themselves in two thousand and seven when they had a bunch of fantastic guys who just happened to have not won Henley yet. Mm. Some guys who don't under twenty threes. And they went out there in 07 and they absolutely destroyed yeah, it. Like I, can, I can definitely see why it might be a little unpopular for them to be in the club events when you're 
essentially devoting your whole life to training. But that's not massively uncommon. There are, there are other clubs out there that train in a similar way. But, you know, you talk about the head of the trend with the guy like me, mm. essentially just trying to rip the foot plate mm. out of the boat. It's like completely unrealistic. And I remember the exact same thing happening to us. I think it was at Marlow right. in 2008. We had the exact same thing. The umpire was just going through and was just pulling as hard on the, the shoes as they could mm. until the thing snapped. It it happens a lot. Yeah. It's just such a dick move. I think. It's jealousy. It's jealousy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and for you know, and and like you said, like we weren't. Yes, yes, you have benefits from training at Leander, but it's a two way street. You give up your life. You live in a three bedroom house with five guys. You get a shit job that pays sod all, mm. so that you can commit to it. And like that's the sacrifice that you've made. Yeah, we literally were speaking to someone the other day who were like, "Oh yeah, all the club rowers." They say like, "We're the real rowers because we have to have full time jobs. It's so much harder for us, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Like these guys are giving up everything in order to be here. Yeah, so like not everyone can. But what? But why? What's the point of giving them stick? About that is what actually when you say like a, you know a proper job or a full time job, like what what do they mean? By that exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. Like, so, you know, you, you get like um, qu quite a lot of clubs will do two session days. So you'll have a lot of clubs where people will go down and they'll do a session at 6 a.m. And then people will go to work and they'll come back in the evening and they'll do a second session. And that's generally what you would consider a proper job. But, for example, if you go down and train at, say, 7 a.m. and 10 a.m., and then you go and work 12 till 8, for example. Like the cinema job, yeah. Yeah, like the cinema job, for example. You know, if you're going to say a proper job is based on the number of hours you work, then you working at the cinema and we, me working at Starbucks, technically that's a proper job because we were basically doing full-time hours still. We just yeah. work into the evenings rather than this typical 9 to 5. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. On the flip side, I also agree. You know, I quite like when they change the rules and the Thames cut. You know, you were allowed a couple of returners. That was like a kind of a rule that allowed clubs to not not have a, a drain of all their athletes if they did manage to win, say, the Brit Lewifel one year, like those things. And I and I like it is nice to have a place for for like club athletes to win. And I will say, like, hats off to like you know, this year I did home countries with Wales. I had a couple of, of the Thames boys, like little Sam. You know, yeah, they 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 fucking full time nine to five, or you know, even maybe like you know eight thirty till six thirty full time jobs. Yeah, yeah. they fit in the training round. They're working their bollocks off. And they're coming to win the Thames Cup. I'm like, yeah, fair play. Like, that's awesome. What it comes down to is just people sitting down and like thinking that other situations aren't as like others are in better circumstances than than you think they are. Like Tim Foster even spoke about this. Like looking at athletes internationally, thinking like, oh, the Australians have it easy, or oh, the Italians have it easy, and then you like actually get to mix in with these people and speak to them, and like you're all going through struggles. You all have to like juggle different things in your life, etc. So it's just looking through kind of like rose-tinted spectacles at others and expecting them to, to have it easier than you because the grass is, as we know, always greener on the other side. I think there is, a, there's a, unfortunately, like Henley Regatta is a victim of his own success. He's so popular worldwide now that mm. unfortunately it's full of world-class athletes from all different countries coming down. And that's made that there's a lot less clubs in the uk who have a chance of winning it or doing well or even qualifying that's mm. it's not the fault of anyone else other than the fact that the, that the event has just got worldwide fame yeah yeah like it's interesting i i'm really impressed at what's happening at thames mm. at the minute it's i think they've they've won what like eight uh wait no is it 10 10 henry regatta wins in the last four years amazing like it's unbelievable and the thing is obviously when you win you're not allowed to have any returners yeah, in yeah. there. If you've won the event, you, 
so, so yeah um so you you lose a lot of your athletes and you've got to have so much new mm-hmm. intake coming in you can't just have a, you know a crew that is largely the same as last year so yet they have this quite high athlete turnover but they still just keep churning out so many henry medals yeah, yeah. um i don't know what they're doing there but it's it's a big club. I mean, we were talking with Ben Lewis. He was sort of saying that they were really struggling for a really long time. And they said, you know, let's look at some some clubs that do it well. And they said, Leander does it well. So they went to Leander and said, you know, how how are you making it work? And Leander <laughs> said, well, look, you've got you've got space to make a restaurant. We have a restaurant in our club. That generates income that gets posted into rowing. Sort of a rolling thing. Yeah. And then another thing is like Ben Lewis said that when he started coaching there like you know they turn up in October and start the season and he's like no 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 we start on the 1st of September and then we bump into Dan Boddington I'm pretty sure we've told this already but we were like so what are you doing and he's like do you know what like these guys they train fucking hard at temps and that's why we're so fast it's like yeah that's what you gotta do there's no, there's no real secret just pull that's hard that's what I always found with with Cambridge um I don't think the training program there was anything particularly revolutionary it was it was a good well-written program but it was largely you know lots of ut2 lots of ut1 few sort of high performance sort of you know more sort of high rates race style pieces you know standard stuff that pretty much everybody does but what they did very well that i think other clubs might be able to learn from is how they just create this sort of culture where the the training has to be very effective Everybody's oh, yeah. trying to make every single session count, for example. Like, you look at a UT2 erg, it's it's very easy for squads to just rock up, do the UT2 erg at whatever split they think's about right on the day. They don't really, they don't even put their force curves on, they're just looking at the split, they're out of time, they're starting at different times. Whereas you look at, like, the UT2 ergs at Cambridge, for example, there are linked up RP3s, we've got our force curves programmed in, we know exactly what splits we're going to hit because we've already done the step test. We're training to heart rate zones. Like, yeah, it's a sub-maximal session, but we're still trying to get, we're squeezing so much out of it. It doesn't have to be as hard as it can possibly be, but we're all rowing the same length. We're all rowing the same force curve. We're all generating the same impulse. We're all in time. Like that stuff adds up. Um, You've just got to make every session count. Did you do a lot of training on the RP3? I've never used it really. Also, yeah, I like it. I, I, what I liked most about the RP3 was the ability to link them up. Yeah. Um, in a way that it, it can't, doesn't really work as well with sliders. Yeah. But we'd have, um, you know, like eight linked up RP3s, for example. When you've, nice. when you've got eight guys on eight linked up RP3s, you've got your handles are sort of connected. Your RP3s are connected. There's a big sort of bar down the middle. So all that you've got sort of mm. four rows of two all connected. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all just building one impulse, uh, mm. and it's it's a subtle difference. I love that, and then you have you have to do this because the season, like you said, is so condensed. You yeah. have like six to seven months of effective training, so you really have to be on the ball with every session. Yeah, because especially because you're training as your opposition, who's doing the exact same thing. Yeah, you I- can't be that revolutionary with training programs. Yeah, like in an eight, you want to have like a consistent force profile throughout the stroke and if you're if you know some people have got a very leg driven stroke some people are really kind of back ending it sort of drawing up to their neck for example you can get away with that when you're on a load of separate individual ergs but if you're actually trying to build one very effective consistent like cohesive stroke 
you've got to spend a lot more time doing that. You want to do that off the water as well as on it. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You got to train. You got to train how you race, and you got to erg how you row. Mm. I like the analogy that it's sort of like water flowing. You know, enough water flows in the same direction, it will it will create a groove in the rock, mm. and then that's the only way that the flo- that the water's going to flow. And yeah. that's sort of what you're doing if you can just ingrain this single movement. Yeah. You know, just get deeper and deeper and more set in your brain. Yeah, what I like about the RP3s is the ability to program in a force curve. That's nice, yeah. On them. So you can say, like, um, you know, you kind of go up to athletes and say, you're going to row this length. Your max force in units is going to be this high. I want the peak of it to be this percentage of the way through the stroke. And everybody's building the same force curves, not just rowing in time. Yeah, that, yeah. that stuff really adds up when you're doing a lot of it. Yeah, mm. I mean, I will say talking about um, you know impressions of different clubs and stuff like you said, we've said with Leander, you know, you start getting treating a certain way, then then you end up acting that way, and you basically in rowing, you you're going to attach yourself to anything you can give yourself a benefit for. So I I also I can understand why Thames are like we're the working man's club, fuck Leander. It doesn't mean they hate Leander. It doesn't really. It's just like. Here's something that we feel can we get a mental advantage on, something that we can really use in the tough sessions. Like, yeah, there's no one else fucking, you know, working yeah. working 60-hour weeks and, like, getting down here and getting the fucking job done. Like, of course, if I had that, if I could use that power, like, I would use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I have, like, yeah. no, no, I have no, like, uh, ill will to anyone who feels that way. But the problem is and other people who aren't in that system kind of hear that and then run with it and like, yeah. oh, this club hates this club. Yeah. Well, what yeah. do you need I mean, what you need is context to the situation and why are you doing it? I mean, Stevie Trapwell once said to me, um, this is back at Cambridge, he said, uh, the, the best way to unify a team is against a common enemy. Yeah. There you and go. there was very much a sort of, um, a, you know, a very anti-Oxford sentiment, like Oxford ain't doing this. You know, they'd put up like, you'd show you pictures of your opposite man, for example. And they, they very much had that uh, Molsey when I was there as well. At Molsey, there was a, a very much an anti-Leander sentiment. Mm-hmm. So I remember the, um, you know, you'd go to these annual dinners, and I won't like say who the speaker was, but, you know, he's standing up in his chair and he's just shouting, fuck Leander, fuck Leander. And it's it's quite hard not to feel a little bit sucked into it. It's nothing to do really... with Leander. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. just yeah. a like, common I, enemy. I held... No, you know, I, I know I was there and then went to other clubs that sort of, you know, compete with Leander. I have no, I have no issue with Leander. I have no beef with them. Like it's, it's a great club. I really enjoyed my time there, but they, they say this stuff. There's this sort of fuck Leander sentiment. I don't think they have any beef with Leander. They're just yeah. trying to yeah, yeah. rile up and unify their own squads. So. Yeah. Then what's interesting is like, obviously you never see people that do be- that are doing better than you do this kind of stuff. So it's like, well, if you have to like start screaming like "fuck this, fuck that," etc., like doesn't that just kind of like show your position in the pecking order? Yeah, from as from if you're at Leander, if you hear that other clubs are like making you the one to beat, like take power in that as well. Mm. Then the opposite is like, cool, you know, they they're so pissed off with this, you know, like that that we're the one with the target on our back. Yeah. So like I always thought, like the weird one I always thought was like when Oxford did FTT. And like yes. for me, like that that falls under never give your enemy any more reason to beat you. Like mm. if you're gonna start fourteen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, is that where it originally started or presumably it's all I, I think um I, I think FTT means fuck the tabs. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. But tab, yeah. tab being um a slang for a Canterbridgean. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, I think um, you know, when the when the cameras are rolling and they've got to kind of be quite serious, it's it's for the team. So. But then I mean I cause I remember um 
going into the team with like Fred Gill and like seeing that the Cambridge lot have made like FTT shirts and stuff as well. Like for me, like old, like straight away, I'd be like, as a co- if I was coaching Oxford and I write our new catchphrase is going to be FTT, I'd be like, no, it is not. Mm. Because as soon as Cambridge hear that, they're going to be like, oh, it's yeah. on. Like you've just given me more reason to hate you. Yeah, but there, there is a, there is a Cambridge um, equivalent. I, I see it with some of the the other sports clubs in Cambridge. They just have F O, which you know, lady deduce for <laughs> lady deduce what that stands for. But I, I don't like that. I think that's just it's pretty lowbrow. Like I I, I actually really like um, G D B O. Okay, what's that? Uh, that's that's um, gosh darn bloody Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good that's, response. That's the Cambridge equivalent. It's, it's, just, such a it's good so response. much more well mannered. Yeah, because like, uh, yeah. like you know, obviously there's this this rivalry between Cambridge and Oxford, right? But I think uh, I think it was Jim Letton who said it in 2018. It, it's a rivalry that should be predicated on like a mutual respect. Yeah, like yeah, you're, yeah. you're both studying hard. You're both training hard. You're both kind of you know really getting after it for a yeah. few months. Some, somebody's got to lose, but like, you know, you don't be a dick about it. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I, I like gosh darn bloody Oxford. There's a rivalry, but like, it's not hostile or aggressive. It's, yeah, I will. It's such I a will. Cambridge thing to say. Yeah, like, I mean, we gosh did it. bloody Oxford. <laughs> Colleton, a one year early and they got us. Yeah, Colleton's. Um, <laughs> printed, off, printed off each, uh, an American crew for each of us, which we would stick underneath the monitor every year ago for a year. And like I, li- I like like kind of fostering that rivalry kind of thing, but at the end of the day, like I will hate you, and I will think about standing on your foot underneath my foot stretcher, you know, and I will want to do everything to beat you. But I'll finish that race and I'll go and shake your hand. Yeah, like I'm not really interested in, in telling you to fuck off. Like, and at the end of the day, I think rowing, like you win on the rowing race, you don't have to. That's the whole point. I don't need to swear at you. I don't need to shower you. I don't need to punch you. I fucking beat you. That's funny when I'm you showed me that video of Harvard ladies play with, uh, beating you in the final in, I think, 2012. And literally, they didn't even celebrate. They just turned their heads at the losing crew at the end and just stuck pointing fingers. And yeah, I mean, oh, they're saying that. And no, there is a bit of a background yeah. story to that. So that's because in 2011, in the semi final, we beat them in the semi-final uh, and we had Ben Duggan rowing in our boat had rowed at Brown uh, and had never and had had some humdiggers with Harvard and never beat them so when we crossed the finish line Ben Duggan points over and screams redemption he he then he got pulled up by Henley he got pulled up into the into the stewards offices and saying you don't you don't bloody act like that so then well we then lost to the Germans in the final then the next year we meet Harvard in the final and they beat us by foot on the finish line and two or three of those boys decided to do it back to shout scream at oh and no was Duggan in the crew no okay Duggan wasn't in the crew anymore it was pretty tasteless I mean if you watched TV, like literally I showed Pete the other day and I was like look okay you know we're not always proud of how we act in the moment yeah but it's pretty much what we were talking about it was a very tasteless way to win you've won by a foot you don't really need to scream and shout and point and swear at us yeah plus Two of the athletes in that crew uh, were then staying in my house for the next week before we went to... Oh, yeah, of course, under-23s. Yeah, so I had Andy, Andy Holmes and Pat Lepage. But I don't think Pat did, but Andy Holmes was one of the ones that screamed. And uh, I was sort of like, I'm, le- I'm letting you stay in my house. I have, yeah. I, I, I hold no, yeah, nothing like, to them now. It's you, fine yeah, like, uh, at the time. Like, if, if you want to kind of get really riled up and use that to motivate you, like, absolutely fine. But, yeah. like, leave it in your gym. Leave it in your boathouse. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. don't be a dick on the finish line. We've all bailed in. Especially once you've won. We've all yeah. crossed the finish line. And uh, there's so much emotion in you. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. Like, I hold I, nothing I, against them. I, I certainly can't 
you know, I can't put my hands up and say I've never done anything stupid. I've done plenty of yeah, stupid yeah, shit yeah. in my own career. So no. Probably, you know, probably upset a few people along the way. But like you, as you kind of grow up and you get a little bit older and wiser, you realize like, okay, maybe I should kind of shelve that behavior. I mean, I think that that was the only time where I haven't shook hands at the end as well. That mm-hmm. Harvard weren't interested in. I think we went in and they were like, nah. Oh, I don't want to show your hands. Yeah. But then I guess you could say that that year before, Ben screaming and shouting at them, clearly they've used that as a motivating factor for the whole year. They've then beat us by a foot on the line. Yeah, yeah. Of course they're probably going to, you know, that's that could be what made them win. Without him, maybe if he hadn't shouted at them the year before. Yeah, maybe but don't we, give him any fuel. Yeah. Yeah, but are you happy because you've won or are you happy because you've not lost to the crew that you hate? That's the difference. It's just being Leander, isn't it? Like you said, like take you can take some pride in the fact that a club feels it's that incredible to get one over on you when you're wearing in, in a in a good club. So that's true. That's what it is. Ah, you're gonna come back out of retirement. I don't know. I don't. I would feel like you talk. You talk, you talk about it like it's just. I, I kind of get this sense from how you talk that you're just really like itching to have one more go. No. no, it just feels like there's too many variables for like the ladies play eight. Like I can't, it's it's uncontrollable. I can't control yeah. the other seven, eight people in the boat and the cops. I can't control how good the boat will be when it comes over. If if an American crew comes over, it could just be a fantastic year. Like we've never, I've never lost to the same crew. It's always been one Harvard crew we lost to that was amazing. One Brown Plus, crew, one Cow yeah. crew, one German crew. Plus, like Henley Regatta is just, it has so many. Did, did he even come to Henley Regatta this year? No, I was on a holiday. Ah, oh, you missed a great fun nights out. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll definitely come next year. We have to. Yeah, yeah. talking about making some blazers. Yeah, we don't. Neither of us have a blazer. I think we'll make a road gear blazer. Yeah, yeah. We might for. I just remember our, our Henley campaign, like going right back to two thousand eight. Basically, me having to stay round yours in your living room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just I mean, I was I was living um on what Lever Road at the time. I think it was called. And yeah, I, I used lived, to live on Lever Road. I think everybody used to live on Lever Road. Henley's a small place. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. He lived in the house next door to your old house at Lever's Road. 24. Wait, the, the, the one that was conjoined? Yeah. Yeah. No way. What number was you? I was 27. I was 25. What the hell? I think it was next door. That That is next door. Well, obviously, it's Basically next door. Next door. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's, yeah. Ne- old n- neighbor was- from a different era? Yeah. Nice. Anyway. When you lived there, was Caroline living next door? Was yeah. she? Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. lived in Caroline's house. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so wild. Small world. Yeah, because I was living with Tom Cannon yeah. at the time, and he was um, in the Henley Rowing Club Eight, and obviously Henley had a Thames Cup crew as well. And we thought, well, okay, you could live together, but if Henley were to get knocked out before us, yeah. and then they start going on the sesh really hard, yeah. then I I can't stay in my own house because it's going to disrupt our campaign. So we took my mattress into your living room. And basically, your living room was just my bedroom yeah. for a week. It was great. Like, yeah, it was good little fun. slumber party. Sticking on yeah. every film under the sun to motivate ourselves all week. Webby forcing us to watch uh, the Dambusters before we race the Germans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it Friday versus Hamburg Garcia? Like, yeah, okay, we're going to go watch Dambusters. I was so fired up. Like, oh, something yeah. about seeing that barrel bomb just go and hit that dam just just fired me up so much for that 2k race i don't know how to describe it but that was a fantastic race that was a race where i felt like we like tactically like i feel like you know if we raced it 10 times you know we might have lost mm. more than we won yeah but on the day we just choked we just choked them we got out hard we got ahead we was we just kept them behind us every move they tried chrissy kept us there 
Mm. And we just choked them out until they had nothing yeah. left. Like, I, I remember, because we had obviously lost to Tideway Scholars, who raced in the final at Marlow before and then turned it round on the Sunday. But I feel like that race against Hamburg probably just gave us that sort of extra little layer of belief yeah. as to what we could do. Because we'd raced um, City of Bristol B on the Wednesday and then Thames Tradesman on the yeah. Thursday. So we hadn't really been tested yeah. all week. No offence to those clubs, but... Um, you it, know, was it was different levels, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was different levels. And then we come up against Hamburg, who was like a, a proper, proper test. Realistically, the only real test we got. They had under 23 athletes in, it, in that crew, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember just being down, being down, being down. And then we had that sort of double push yeah. that we used to do in the middle where we'd do this like 10-stroke push. And then off the back of that, we'd do an even higher rate additional 10-stroke push nice. just to try and just blow the field apart. I just remember Ray Poulter just screaming, for England, <laughs> at the top of his lungs in the middle of this race. And banging it up to like 43 for 10 strokes. And it just blew the race apart. And we just went from down, just sliced through them, just stayed there. And that was it. Game, set, and match. Absolutely. Like a knife yeah. through butter. It just, just choked them out. And they were so close. Cool. They literally, they took their, they put their push in early. And we stayed ahead, we stayed ahead. And then like, they just exploded in. They're like, it was like three quarters of a length with like maybe 10, 15 strokes to go. And then mm. in the finish line, it was like four lengths. Like they literally wow. just implode. Like, wow. like, it's over. Yeah. Heads turning, like, ah, oh, we've not, it's not happening. That was a good one. I wish they had the coverage back then. Instead, they had Row TV. Which is just the final sort of 10, 15 strokes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The coverage now so good. It's unreal. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Ray Bolter, yeah. Fantastic stroke man. Just had no, no care for his own physical welfare, mm. which has happily put himself in a place no one else would yeah, that's what you need from a stroke man yeah yeah i still i still remember that um because that that week rather than do crew mains because everybody was racing at different times they just had this massive buffet yeah available all the time and as a recovery snack after i think the city of bristol race ray had nine slices of cheesecake <laughs> <laughs> like Ray, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Brian's like losing his shit. At <laughs> it's so easily done. I remember like um, one of the things they said to us at Cambridge, Rich, Rich Chambers was quite big on this. He said, don't just start eating everything. Like you, you need to eat less food during taper weeks. Mm. You, like yeah. you, you forget, like, you know, if you're going out and doing an 8K tech, you don't need two fry ups yeah, yeah. per day, for example. And, you know, we've done like a 4K pre row and then a fairly chilled 2k race and Ray's just boshing nine slices of cheesecake you, you don't do that I remember under 23s one year and my last year so like 2011 we um it was a little bit heavier i've been sitting like 97 kilos maybe and we flew and then you know when you fly you always your weight goes up yeah and they were taking our weight every day and i was like 101 102 it's like really heavy Ooh. like like and everyone else was coming down and mine wasn't coming down and Bellhash came to me and was like listen you need to like still wearing pretty heavy like need to like check check yourself so i was like this was like after morning sessions i was like okay cool i'll uh i just like i could just skip like i'll skip lunch and uh, i just won't eat again till dinner we got we got another session i just i just skip a meal no worries yeah four kilos by the time we got to the afternoon i was like down the river about ready to go on an outing i was like i'm so hungry like as a heavyweight <laughs> rower like i'd never ever yeah like monitored my intake i just always eaten whatever i want and i was like literally just like struggling i was like i feel dizzy i'm so hungry <laughs> like george rossiter had to give me an energy gel 
<laughs> it's like, it's like, this is the last yeah, time. Like, this is the last time I ever skip a meal ever. I can't do it. Uh, yeah, just just crack out the like the break in case of emergency gel. Like, yeah, yeah, I've had had many of those as a cyclist. Like, it's just that that was a moment. If I hadn't thought it before, that was a moment. Where I was like, I would, I would never be a lightweight. Like my whole rowing career, like consists on me being able to eat everything, and that's it. I do have so much respect for lightweights. <sighs> yeah, just the, the sheer amount of discipline. I I do sometimes kind of worry a little bit about it because I do feel like some people who really shouldn't be lightweights yeah. just put themselves like through hell to become lightweights like, yeah. you know people who are just that little bit too they're, they're on the small end of heavyweight yeah yeah um, so they actively starve themselves to make lightweight they're, they're really strict they're by like the images of a guy called Ali Douglas at Molsey who would naturally sit on like low 80s but he'd just shovel down like sh just bowl after bowl of sugar free jelly so he'd fill himself up oh, and take yeah. in no calories to try and get down to 70 oh, kilos. Yeah. It's not good for you. No. Right, they're a lot more strict. Milk, they're a lot more strict in the squad now about uh, lightweight athletes. They weigh in multiple times throughout the year and they they monitor their weight and they're not allowed to lose significant amounts. Like they are, they're getting a lot more strict on it, which is good. I mean, the other thing about lightweight for the women for a long time, but now for the men as well, there's only two seats. Yeah. There's two seats in the Olympics. So you have to be the best too. Like as a heavyweight man, I was like top 14. I could... I'm never going to be the best in the country, but there's a chance I might make top 14. Yeah. But like yeah. top two. Like, fuck. It's tight. It's yeah. tight out there. Like, and the thing is, I guess, realistically, that must almost feel like it closes a door mm. for a lot of lightweight athletes. Like, I, I know I know quite a few sort of quite talented lightweight women who I think, you know, have sort of dabbled with the idea of trying to get into the squad. But you look at how strong the GB women's lightweight Emily family. and Imogen, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like... <sighs> You're not you're not displacing either of those yeah. two. Like those two are absolutely turbo. It almost makes me think, well, what's the point of even trying? I told the story before as well, I'm sure, but I was at Cabersham about two weeks after Tokyo mm. uh, Olympics, um, fixing some gear down there, and uh, Emily Craig's out going out in a single. I was watching her get a single out and go out. And I was like, said to Morris, I was like, did she like race the Olympic final like 11 days ago? <laughs> he was like, yeah. On holiday, I was like, "Okay." Imogen, Imogen wow. Grant is a, probably the most sort of all-round impressive athlete and person I know. Yeah, like my my the first time I ever met Imogen was I was sort of pre-season at Cambridge, sort of pre-pre-season mm -hmm. at Cambridge. So, um, a guy called Patrick Elwoods, his um, then girlfriend Hannah, and Imogen they're going for a bike ride, just. Tuesday evening, jolly couple of hours just around Cambridgeshire. And they said, you know, do you want to come along, Dave? And I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, sure thing. I'll I'll go along for that. I'll I'll go along. Just just to start kind of getting to know people, you know, do a little bit of training. And uh, although it was just a jolly ride, I got to about 10 miles to go and I thought to myself, right, you know, it's time to assert my dominance and like, you know, blow this wide open. <laughs> and I just, I just go for home, like 10 miles out, just like, you know, bite the handlebar, head down blaze and just absolutely gassing it. And really quickly, like, you know, start, like, dropping Patrick and, and Hannah. I look up, like, after, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever, I look up, and Imogen's there, just, like, curled up in a ball, like, holding onto my back wheel, like, nothing else. I've been going hard for a long time. She just stays with me. No issues at all. Like, she's such a weapon on the bike. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know that. Like, I think, uh, so, so earlier this year, she just went off and did the Bucks team time trial uh, oh, yeah. championship. We just won that. Just 
like just just take a quick weekend off rowing and just go win a box gold medal in career change sports. Do you, uh, was Hamish Bond. Bond? Yeah, Hamish Bond did it, didn't he? Jason Osborne. Yeah, the, um, he's the, probably the, the best example of it. So, do you know Jason Osborne? No. Uh, stroke the German lightweight double in Tokyo. Lightweight, oh. who I think goes sub six. Whoa. I know. Nothing. Isn't that a world record? Must be, surely. And there's a few that have done it, but maybe three, three or four guys I think have done that's, it. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. basically on the grand scheme of things, fuck all people have ever gone sub six. Yeah. Of, like, of, of eight billion. Lightweight. Yeah. That's bonkers. What so, rate do you have to pull? Oh, God knows. But um, so he did the, um, so he, he was a bit of a bit of a demon at Swift. Which, you know, we, we spoke a little about Swift. It's basically yeah. like cycling meets World of Warcraft. So <laughs> so they had the, um, the the National Zwift Championships for Germany. He just boshes these out and just wins them. Nice. Because he does, he does quite a lot of cross-training on the bike. Um, so he gets sent as a German representative to the World Zwift Championships. And this, is, this isn't just a bunch of, like, hobbyists. There's actual, like, genuine World Tour pros yeah. doing this race. And he just murders all of them. Wow. Like, he just went, he goes and just wins the World... Zwift Championships. He won the whole thing. He won the whole thing. But not only that, he had he'd taken his turbo trainer out on a, a rowing training camp. So he'd been out doing an outing that morning and then had just set his turbo trainer up in this gym and just did the World Zwift Championship as a second session. No. And just still goes and wins the whole thing. So he's got a professional contract off the back of that or something. Yeah, he's got a professional contract. So I think he rides for um, Al- Alperson Phoenix these okay. days yeah so yeah row is switching into cycling like hamish bond did yeah. absolutely incredible but i feel like um jason osborne's story is like that little bit more insane well that's you the other win- thing about the um the america's cup guys so matt gottrell uh harry leask and matt roster who've gone to the america's stuff stuff so that uh it used to be arm cranking but they now with the hydraulic, it's 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 a bike pedal crank basically. Okay. So they're essentially saying you're incredibly fit athletes from a rowing background. We'll teach you, the, as far as I'm aware, teach you the rules of how, how it goes, and we'll give right. you. So yeah, the crossover from rowing to cycling has been quite a big. God, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. They pay they pay a decent amount of money. Talking about cycling, Harry Lee. We went um, a couple of years after I finished at Leander. I was down fixing the row machines and. Uh, I still knew a few of the guys that were training there. They're saying, oh, we're going on a bike ride tomorrow. You should come. Mm-hmm. Come on the bike ride. Come on, come on, come on. And I was like, yeah, all right, fine. I'll have it. I, you boys have all been training hard. I've done nothing. I'm sure I can keep up. Go off on this bike ride, and I'm like working pretty hard to keep up, to stay up with everyone. And then as we get to what I think is the end of the ride we used to do three or four years ago, a few of us like truck, send it, get off out of the front, like absolutely like going for it. I'm quite a good wind shadow on a bike. Yeah, yeah you as are, you like, can imagine. Yeah, a big old boy. Yeah. Like, so there's a few boys hanging on behind me. And I and then I'm thinking, right, we just go straight down Pish Hill. Boom, we're back into Henley. And then all of a sudden the boys are like, no, nah, no, nah, we turn up here, we got another, we do like another 30 minutes. And I was like, I've drained myself thinking that I'm home in five and we're still going. And uh I think Harry Leesk saw the saw the look on my face and was like get on my wheel oh, there's nothing worse than blowing on a bike i just hung on to him for dear life on the back and i have big big uh, respect for him because i'm like this you know i'm two years out of the senior team i'm supposed to be quite a, you know should have been fit how strong he's quite new into the team mm. but he still was just like you know what we're talking about no barriers doesn't matter who you are like someone struggling like get get on the wheel that's yeah like, yeah that's one of, one of the things i like, always liked about cycling is that 
the, the faster you're going, the bigger the wind shadow is. Mm. So if you're just sat behind someone, you're you know if you're going pretty fast and you're sat in the wind shadow, you can put out forty percent less watts. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, like and that that grows ex that grows as the speed increases. Wow. Um, so if you're if you're really blowing, just just tuck in behind someone big and just hold on for dear life. Well, this is probably what Imogen did to you. Maybe, maybe, but I can imagine she'd be able to put feet on anyway. She's yeah. probably planning to drop me in like the final two games. <laughs> Pro probably. Yeah. Probably. I love to see, I see the post when she was like uh, on, she had to do a shift up at the hospital or whatever, needed to do a session. So just like on her lunch break, like pulls the ergo out of the car in the hospital car park and like gets a session. <laughs> and, so like, I can't imagine the looks he would get in a hospital car. Like people would just be like, yeah, you do it. Should just get it done. Just like done, just yeah. you know, would go down to Ely, you know, really early every day. You know, you're on the what, half five train or whatever it was, washing out. You know, twenty k in the eight, uh, say six in the morning. Then we'll just hop on the train, get to I think Newmarket or wherever mm -hmm. she was working at the time. Twelve hour shift at the hospital, train back to Cambridge in the gym at like you know half seven, eight at night, just washing out like big weights. Like I've seen her like straight like deadlifting over a hundred. Wow. <sighs> Yeah, lightweight. Yeah, like strong. Women's lightweight, 55. Yeah, 57. 57? And a half, I think, mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I have no intention of trying. But, um... <laughs> but, <laughs> to cut, cut both your legs off. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, and we're just... Just, yeah, just uh, could get an unbelievable amount of, like, productivity out of every day. Yeah. So much good training, like, big, big shifts on the hospital, like... It was just, it was incredible to watch. It's doing that and like, yeah, and being able to look after yourself and not get ill and be consistent. And do something yeah. as stressful as being a doctor. But, but yeah, like, imagine managing your nutrition through that as well. Yeah. Because I'd just be, you know, ringing up Domino's like twice yeah. a day in both circumstances. But not when touching, you're lightweight. Yeah, not when you're like, how do you have the energy to do that as a lightweight? Well, hospital food ain't the best. Yeah. Of yeah, well, I love to have her on. I love to. We'll see. We'll see how everyone does. We definitely got a few of the the people who'll be racing at um, senior worlds this year sort of lined up. But it'd be nice. I think nice COVID. COVID sorry to um, bit of a side to us here, but like I think COVID's like really changed training because it's like so easy to just pull out an ergo and just do it anywhere. Like, but even even before Alex Partridge said that he just you know in the middle of a drive or a commute or something, he would just out his erg and just do a nine k yeah. half hour, just get back in the car what? and just drive. On. Yeah, I know it's absolutely. He was driving down to like Cornwall or somewhere, and so he stopped like in a car park on the Bodmin Moors and just knocked out <laughs> half hour. And that uh, it was feeling good, so just sent it and got nine k and then put it in back some in the random car. roadside car park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, like it, you are rowers. Like this is so yeah, strange. absolutely insane. Just such a weird bunch. Yeah, but we'll definitely get Imogen on and Emily, or at least we'll try to. So keen if they're listening. Yeah, we'd love to have you guys so at some point. Yeah, no, I've, I've got a lot of a lot of respect for that that double that's going to those two. Well, I, well, we talked about this the other day. We're like, we are one. I really want them to win it. Yeah, I want them to. Like, well, I saw them. I saw the break world best time in Varese, and I thought, yeah. oh my god. Wait, was that was that this year? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it broke world best time that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From yeah. the results from Tokyo, you're just like, that's that's the one I want. Yeah, but, I mean, I uh, want it for everyone, but like, you're just like, oh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. It's looking good. It's looking good for Worlds. We'll, we'll do a rundown. Maybe we'll have you back and do a Worlds rundown. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Why not? Why not? We'll get the international rowing expert, Mr. Dave Bell, back on. I mean, gentle reminder that I am retired. <laughs> like, 
I mean, this is if you come for up to date and accurate rowing news, this is the wrong place for it. That's not what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We will chat a bit about what's going on. Vague, vaguely factually, sort of you know ballpark correct figures and opinions, and me reminiscing about back when I was leaner and had more hair. And yeah, I'm definitely the guest for you. But but if you're interested in bro science through the roof, (laughs) this is the place for you. Full of bro science right there. Yeah, yeah. How to, like, if, if you want, like, in-depth analysis as to how to retire from rowing, just take up a new, like, beach life, beach weights lifestyle. Like, yeah, I, like, I'm, I'm the guy. So, but. <laughs> awesome. We'll, atta- we'll attach an email at the at the bottom of the, of the description. Yeah. <laughs> Hit up Dave for bro science weights routines. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Well, it's been, been well fun, man. It's been good to just have a good chat and uh, reminisce about the good times. Yeah, yeah, no, I've I've enjoyed it. Like it's um, it's one of the good things about this sport, isn't it? Like you, you know, you might not necessarily see somebody all the time, but how you can just sit down and just reminisce, just chat rubbish for I don't know how long we've been going for. Is it is it dark yet? I'm not sure. But uh, straight back into it. I mean, I I don't know if I I don't think I have told this one on the podcast, and we can cut it out if it's not that funny story. I think I've said it to you, isn't it? That time I came, Webb invited me for New Year's Eve at Walton. When you were living down in Walton, and I hadn't yeah. seen either of you for a really long time, and I turned up at the door, I rang the doorbell, and Webby lets like just opens the door, like, oh, I right, told him I was coming, and I come in, and like near the front door is like a downstairs toilet, mm-hmm. and you just come out of the downstairs toilet, and I didn't even know if you knew you're coming. You literally just like without breaking your stride, just came out of the toilet, then, hey, all right, little mouse. Webby, I cannot piss that shit stain off the toilet. And I've been trying for weeks. And Webby goes, yeah, I know. I can't get it either. And then you went, yeah, but like, I don't want to use a bog brush. It's cheating. And then just like walks upstairs. And I was like, like we're, we're back. We're back. It's 2A Watlington Street. It's like we never left. Nothing ever changed. Yeah, Nothing ever changed. Oh, no, that's absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much, Dave, for coming on again. And... Um, um, yeah, Tom and I are hoping like at some point like we're gonna have you as as a recurring guest and just bring out some of the fun chit chat stories and talk some sense about Ray, Let's do but also be a bit Next good. time we'll get someone else on as well. We've got yeah. more mics. Let's yeah, do the panel. Fun. Like no, I'm always happy to come, you know, chat some rubbish with you boys. Awesome. It's great fun, like watching your beards develop. <laughs> Majestic pieces of artwork that they are right now. So. <laughs> You're not doing too badly. I'm doing okay. I had a little. Uh, I had a little tidy up before I came, just for, just for you two. So, oh, nice. um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go get. I'll go get approached to it. Like, well, you don't. You don't know how big this could be. There could be thousands, thousands of of single women watching you right now. Yeah. If, so, if you fancy a bit of Dave Bell, let's know. Well, uh, yeah. If you wanna, if you wanna come try out my well refined pasture and beans dish, <laughs> yeah, so I'm not letting that go. I'm not letting it go. I'm gonna screw you over in front of all your followers. So, <laughs> listen. If you haven't tried it, don't knock it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it. Like I'm gonna make Tom cook it for me, and uh, just to, just to see what atrocity or what is actually good because not every recipe. I'll do it. I'll do it. We'll see. <laughs> Next time we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Well, it's been it's been absolutely awesome, and I've learned so much during this episode that I'm hoping to apply it into my everyday life. So on that note, easy there. Cue the music.